The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to my favorite podcast of the year outside of the mock trade deadline and the mock offseason. And that is Top 10 Prospects in the NBA and really exciting Danny and I who have often been accused of groupthink which yeah, we talk to each other for an hour a day about basketball so it's not a surprise I'm going to bring in the person that I only talk to an hour a week about basketball to really avoid the groupthink here and that's John Hollinger doing this exercise for the first time John how are you doing great thanks for having me on yeah and Danny uh, of course uh, is here as well and so just to tell people what we're doing here this is the top 10 prospects, and we'll probably go a bit further than 10 as well, in the NBA, age 23 or younger. So that's basketball reference age 23. So they'll have to be 23 or under as of February 1st this season. And the idea behind age 23 is just that's the year when you can still look at this guy's future and project out, oh, he's only 23 years old. 24, obviously completely fully formed, no development possible But by that point. Uh, but, I mean, obviously we have to cut it off at some point. And certainly there are players who have developed really well in the past year who just turned 24 this year, which we'll probably hit on at least a little bit. But, John, just as you went through this exercise, any just opening thoughts that you have? Uh, the awesomeness of the 2018 draft is still very apparent this this is the last year this group will be in the uh will be in the mix here and they still kind of dominate the list yeah and, and i mean and some of these guys like trey young isn't even on it uh, anymore uh shea isn't even on it anymore uh, so some of their their best guys uh, have actually graduated off of it already but uh yeah so so danny uh any opening thoughts for you here yeah, I'll talk about this a bit when we get closer to those players, but what was, something that was striking to me about it is just how few individuals that I seriously considered had real playoff experience. Like it's just yeah. it's the nature it's the nature sometimes of where players end up and also, you know, like for example, Zion Williamson missed last year, the Pelicans made the playoffs. Like there are there are circumstances like that as well. And so something all three of us often use as a differentiator, as a calibrator even if we're looking more to the future, this isn't an evaluation of how good are they right now. That's a part of it. It still is a very useful part of the exercise, and we have so little material of that from basically any of these individuals. I found this whole thing very useful, again, because – and I find it – anytime we do these rankings, people are like, oh, what is the point? This is just like clickbait. Like I actually find it exceedingly useful – for all of my analysis, because it's one thing for a franchise to say, all right, 
we drafted LaMelo Ball number three or Scotty Barnes number four. Great pick. We love this guy. They're a foundational piece of the franchise. That to me is not enough. I think, what does that mean, right? If you, I think there's a lot of value in really forcing yourself or like the Houston Rockets with Jalen Green. Oh man, we love Jalen Green. We think he's going to be great in the future. Like, okay, but what, where does he really rank among these prospects? Like, do you want to answer a question, John? Like, all right, do we need to keep tanking as a franchise? Like, is this guy enough to be the foundational piece for us? And what do we need around this guy? Is he untradeable for Kevin Durant? <laughs> Might be something that would come up, right? So to answer the question, like force yourself to sit down and be like, okay, hey, we love this guy. We think he's amazing. The foundational piece, yeah, but he's only like the 17th best guy under 23 in the league that we would want to build around. Like that, that, it kind of forces you to be real about this stuff. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, it's funny. Like you, you go through like a team like San Antonio where they had three guys whose names I wrote down. But uh, their highest ranked guy on my list was 19th. So it's like, yeah. okay, like you you have some nice pieces here, but none of them are gonna be are gonna push you anywhere close to where you're trying to eventually go, unless they get more help. Yeah. So, uh, John, anything else that you really looked at as you were going through uh, the evaluation? Like, what were some of the key criteria that of the players that ranked very highly on this list? Age was the most confounding one, trying to rank guys who maybe aren't as fully formed versus guys who are in their fourth or fifth season. Uh, I thought that was hard. Uh, Positional value played into it a little. Honestly, there aren't that many centers on this list anyway, so uh, it it probably didn't didn't matter that much for that perspective. there were inju- there was in- injury stuff that was hard to calibrate and figure out because you just don't know. And so and really right at the top, it becomes an issue almost immediately. Yeah. D- Danny, anything else that, that you want to add as far as your criteria? Yes. Briefly, I significantly value the potential, like the probability or whatever of a player having MVP best player in a playoff series, all NBA, especially first team upside, because those players are incredibly hard to find. They're almost impossible to acquire until they're significantly older. And for some franchises, you could say they're functionally impossible at that point. And so if you can get a player who can do those things, or even who has a possibility there, I will roll those dice more often than the like good player who I really like, who I think is not at quite doesn't quite have that kind of ceiling like that's still something that I do but that also leads to more severe swings for players who especially if they do that by physical profile because if I just don't think they have the goods anymore then they fall below the guys with a higher expected value no that's a a great point and that reason is kind of part of why I will often skew younger on this list maybe than some other people might because I just value that upside and but for some guys like Shaden Sharp is a great example. He's not going to be in my top 10, but he's a guy where you can see the crazy upside with him. I, I had him ranked very highly in the draft. I actually already would be moving him down because while I think he's had success in some ways that maybe people didn't anticipate, I just haven't seen quite enough from him so far, even though he's got this incredible shooting ability and physical tools to say that, all right, I think this guy is a future superstar now or, or has, I mean, I think he still has that upside, but it's already waning to me, even after seeing him for two months 
in the NBA. I still like the guy. I still think he's going to be very good. But in general, some of the younger guys, I do tend to elevate. But then I'm also pretty harsh within a year or so of like, all right, it's not going to happen for them, at least at the level that I thought was like a 20% upside of this guy. So I'm going to drop them out. Uh, anything else, John, that, that you wanted to talk about here before we get started? I just thought it got hard very quickly. Yes. <laughs> harder than, harder, harder than <laughs> having done this for the first time, This it was harder than I expected. And I, I think I probably still, once we get into debating, I'm probably still going to end up moving some of these names around a little. Yeah, I, I think uh, that was the case for me as well. Last thing I'll add, you know, obviously there, we know that wings are a more valuable position at this point. I also just really value, can you efficiently create shots for yourself? That is the premium skill. I do think defense is very important. I also think that predicting defense is probably harder. And so that that's another thing. Like, And very few young players are actually really good at defense. But even the ones that we think are amazing at this point, to say, all right, this guy for sure is going to be all defense, defensive player of the year. Like, I think that's harder than to say that, you know, someone like Luka Doncic in his second year is going to be a dominating offensive player. So I, this offense is more important than defense anyway. It's harder to acquire. So that I, I definitely am going to value that more. And last thing we're going to do too here is, and John, I guess you can kind of do it just more in a vacuum, but uh, since you didn't do this list last year, but we want to give each player a development score for how well they've improved their skill set kind of relative to what just your average expectation well, and, of them. And Nate, I don't, I don't know if you keep this on the dock from last year. We're recording this exactly one year later. It was December 21st, 2021 that we did it last time. So we're there, there is a, it's an exact, like, how did this last year go for them? So here's who graduated off my list last year. Trey Young was number four. Jason Tatum was, well, hold on. No, that's that's wrong. Let me still check it. Trey Young was number two for me last year. Jason Tatum was number four. Those guys, two guys were in the same tier. Uh, and then Shea Gilgis-Alexander was number 10 for me. And I also had an honorable mention of Miles Bridges. And then DeAndre Ayton and Jared Allen were the other two who kind of uh, we're uh, are gone now from this list. So, uh, and we'll, we can kind of talk about them as we self-evaluate at the end here. So John, I'll give you the honors here. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of suspense, but maybe there will be. Uh, and we're going to do it. We'll do our tier system, obviously too. That's the other thing. Like we leave guys in tiers when we think there's a credible argument to have one above the other new tier means no, not an argument that we would buy to put the guy, one guy above the other. So John, Number one, tier one, who do you got here? Oh, Johnny Davis. <laughs> Are we talking about the top ten? Prospects, oh, 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 uh, oh in, sorry, sorry, in, D- different list, sorry. My in, bad. in the G League, playing for the Capital <laughs> City Go-Go. I don't, I don't know if I can put him above Isaiah Todd. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have player number one in a tier by himself, uh, Luka Doncic. Yeah, this will be his last season on this list. He's number one for me, too, and Danny, I assume, for you as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, we almost don't really even need to say that much about him. I, I well, think here, here's some point. of our listeners might not be familiar with him. <laughs> well, so I'll say a couple of quick things. One, Luka Doncic for multiple years now has already played at an MVP level. And while there are other players who I believe have MVP upside, Luka's already been there. He's already been the best player on a conference finals team, not an NBA finals team. Nobody's done that yet on this. That's eligible for this list. 
And the question I wanted to ask both of you is, we recorded this podcast a year ago. I had Luca in a tier one by himself. I believe you did as well. What would, Nate, what would you give him for a development score? Oh, well, it, it was funny because I re-listened to last year's show and he actually was bad up until this point. He was struggling with an ankle injury. He came in out of shape. His defense was awful. Uh, I still had him number one in his own tier even at that point. But he hadn't actually had the best season of anyone on this list last year. Uh, but then, obviously, to get to the conference finals, he got a lot better defensively. He was a part of a successful defense, really, for the first time in his career. So, I mean, probably like seven or eight, I would say. I mean, I definitely, like, to have that level, won his first playoff series. And so, yeah, I, I th- thought, uh, you know, seven or eight, you got to be very pleased with how he's developed so far. I think taking the broader view, like going back to the 2018 draft, I guess, I I feel like his development has been a tremendous success compared to some of the things we were nitpicking in the draft room about him. Uh, I think everyone thought he would be Trey Young level bad on defense, and that just hasn't been the case. Um, Offensively, uh, he really struggled uh, actually when people would pressure his dribble up the court in Spain. And that just hasn't been a thing at all in the NBA. He's gotten much more comfortable, uh, with, with the three getting to get into that step back. He's added so much craft as a finisher. Um, he had some of it, but he's added a lot of subtle little stuff and, and it's just made him, uh, so much more effective. And I think there were, and it's interesting because, he came into the league already fully developed physically, which some guys don't, especially when they're 18 yeah. or 19. And so you wondered, okay, where's where's the upside then? And it turns out he still had all this upside in terms of just skill and craft and different things he could do. On that yeah. front, um, one of the things that I put in the development, like in my little notes on it, Luca currently, as we're recording this podcast, has a career high in true shooting, despite his three-pointer still not coming all the way around. It's better now. Like, now he's up to 35%, but he was, you know, struggling early in the year. And part of that is Doncic, 58% on twos and getting to the free-throw line at the highest rate of his career. 10 free-throw attempts per 36 minutes is great. And so those, as kind of as John said, the skill developments there, and there's still room for him to improve and grow. Like, I mean, he's only 23, as we're going to – we'll use that phrase similarly in this podcast. And so, yeah, I think I think Luca. I gave him a development score of an 8. The defense has gotten better, kind of finding the ways to and, – and, I mean, I I share some of the criticisms, the, the concerns about how how he's being used and how viable this level of heliocentrism is. But I also don't blame Luka Doncic for that. I blame lots of other people for that. <laughs> hey, you can blame Luca for it a little bit, I a would little. say, because because it part of why Jalen Brunson wanted to leave was because he just wasn't going to get as much opportunity. Like he he wanted to be you know, the the engine, and you know maybe if you're playing next to someone as good as Luca, yeah. that's never going to happen. But and and the Mavericks yeah. also may not run a fast break until 2035. Like yeah, I'm just not that, sure it's going to happen. Yeah, I actually do put that on Luca because it's been three coaches. Oh, sorry, two yeah. coaches now. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't want to run. Yeah. Right, and it, maybe if they if you didn't have such a high load, he could push the ball in transition more. But uh, I mean, you can't tell me Jason Kidd doesn't want to run. <laughs> like, well, and was, and and his previous coach Rick Carlisle is running aggressively now with different personnel in Indiana. Right. Yeah, and last thing I'll say, John, going back to his journey here as a prospect, and it's just his birthday hit at a point where this is actually his fifth year on this list. Um, and he's been, he was three for me the first year and he's been one the last three years before this one. 
the his ability in isolation. I mean, that's the thing that I didn't see coming that like there'd be basically nobody except for like 15 guys in the whole league that can guard this guy in isolation, right? Like that's, yeah, that's he, had, he had a hard time against switches in, in his last yeah. year in Spain. Cause he's slow. Yeah. You're like, all right, yeah. well, how's he going to get by guys? But he just has this incredible craft and strength and skill level. And so uh, last thing on, on Luca, he with Seth Partnos total usage has 58.7% total usage. So that includes not only scoring, but also passes that lead to a shot. So potential assists plus assists. So basically 58.7% of the time he is either scoring or making a scoring attempt, making the pass that leads directly to the shot or turning it over for the Mavs this season. That is four percentage points higher than anybody else in the league. And there are only six players who are over 50% in that statistic. So nobody else in this tier for any of us. One John, final developmental nitpick. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Still sucks at free throws. Yeah, that is a little odd. And it does make you – like he was shooting 80% early this year. And like, ooh, wow, maybe he's actually improved that. But, uh, yeah, nope. I, I mean, there is there is just like a little something about him where you're like, okay, he gets frustrated. He's leading the league in technicals. He's like – you know, the free throw thing seems like it's just a concentration issue. Like he's had – you know, Jalen Brunson wanted to leave. He couldn't get along with Porzingis. Like there's – it does seem like there's just a few things there about him as like a leader and, you know, but he's got, he's 23. He's got, he's playing at an unbelievable level. I mean, he's been one of the best 20 through 23 year olds in NBA history. Absolutely. All right, John, next player for you, tier two, number two. I had two players in this tier. Uh, I, they were drafted right after each other. Uh, I went with Ja Morant at number two and, I went with him over Zion Williamson because of my perception that I think he will be more durable, which, I mean, that's a little questionable too. Like, it's not like a sure thing, you know what I mean? But I just felt a little better about him than Zion. Danny? I have the same tier in the same order, and I really grappled with whether to put Zion higher. I mean, first of all, that's the whole idea of a tier. Like, you want it to be that close of a call, but... And, and like, I mean, part of the argument for Williamson is that he played at an all-NBA level before John Morant did. Like, you know, it happened to have been, there's a year in between sandwiched where he didn't play at all due to an injury. And the other part of it, like, I, I think it's interesting to start with the injury part of it, because I think for, we, we both, all three of us think the world of these two players. And the injury part of it, like, Zion has missed more time, but John Morant has missed time as well. And I'm, you know, so with, with Zion, especially with his weight getting more under control, I'm, I'm kind of, I fear John Morant's injuries more game to game, and I fear Zion more week to week and month to month. But I do think that there's a reasonable argument to go in either direction. I will, I hope they're both healthy for the rest of their careers, but like, we'll look at that in five years and just see how it worked out. But the... I mean, with John Morant, I mean, it, it was it's especially interesting, like we talked about a little bit with, with Luca about how he couldn't make any threes early in the year. In the very beginning of this season, I thought it was going to be Ja in Tier 2 by himself, but Ja missing some threes, Zion playing awesome for the last few weeks, especially on defense, that's what made them earn the spots in the same tier. Yeah, I still haven't even decided who I'm going to put first, but I think it's pretty obvious that these are, are the next two guys in the next tier. So let me ask you guys to start with John. Who has been better at their best so far out of these guys? Just just what's happened so far, not looking ahead. It's tough, right? Um, I w- I would say I would say 
Ja last year was probably a little better than Zion the year before. Uh, but it's really close again. And Ja is also a year older. So you, you got to remember that too. I would say I think Zion this year in the regular season. Now, here's the this is why I initially put Ja a little higher is because he's played well in the playoffs. We haven't seen it yet from Zion. Um, you know, he Ja's had a couple of really good playoff series and moments, but then, of course, got hurt in the playoffs last year. But I would say in the regular season, Zion, this last like month and a half or so, because of his defense being passable and even at times good, and like the crazy efficiency that he scored with both this year and in his last healthy year when he was basically the engine of a top 10 offense with absolutely nobody else around him, um, I would say he's reached a higher level in the regular season. What do you think of that, Danny? I think it's fair. I mean, the second half of Zion Williamson's second season, so that was the 2020 slash 21, I think is better than anything Ja has put together right now. But the hard thing is it's not a full season set because they it took time to find point Zion within that right. team. And especially when you add the context. And Stan Van Gundy, I, I think, did a good job eventually entrusting him. But if you think about the combination of the surrounding talent and the like overall like coaching and infrastructure and all that, like John Morant, I mean, we've seen the Grizzlies succeed without him because they have a lot of talent. They have a really good coach. And that is that is relevant. It's not dispositive necessarily. And so I, I think that Zion has played at that level. And the other idea, and people who have a dunked on drinking game, get get your shot glasses ready. Um, I think... How about, can we just have a, like a glass of beer? We don't sure, want to go that's to the hospital too. here. But like, it's so funny because these players are both so undeniable but like zion has these moments of just oh god what are we gonna do with this and we've seen over the last the last few years we've seen a couple teams like i mean the the bucks battle plan was really fascinating earlier this week against against him or maybe that was over the weekend and we've seen a couple other teams try some different stuff and like john morant does it in a different way and that's a part of why these two players are in a tier separate from everyone else is that they have reach that level of we have to game plan for this this is the organizational imperative for the opposition in a way that nobody else has yet just yet yeah john what, what's your opinion on just who has reached a higher level so far among these two guys i yeah i, I still kind of think it's it's john just because i mean he held he held it for longer last year and I don't know. We've like we've seen these flashes from Zion, but again, it's like it's 110 career games. He's played half as many yeah. games as Ja, you know, in the in the four years. I, I just uh, I have a hard time rolling with that. I think it's also a little easier for Ja to dominate a game because the ball is naturally in his hands. Oh, that's a really good point. And on that front, using Seth's total usage for the season, John Morant, 53.1 total usage, Zion Williamson, 40.3. I believe at least two, but probably all three of us think that 40.3 for Zion should be a little bit higher. But it is easier for, as you said, John, for the ball to find John Morant. Nate, how did you how did you deal with the difference in defensive quality between these two? Because that was something a little bit hard for me to square. John Morant, defense is not imperative for a point guard, but we saw the Grizzlies defend at it at an impressive level last year when the primary difference was John Morant was not on the floor. Yeah, and it, you know he he is has been a target in the playoffs, but Zion, you know, we saw Devin Booker absolutely abuse him in that fifty-eight point game too. Like I, I do think that they're like we need to see him stress tested in the playoffs when teams are going to actually really go after him. Like he's had a few games that have looked pretty good. He's had a few okay moments defending in isolation, but you know he's got to just be more consistent there. Um, but it, so I think really what it is, it's like if Zion can get to like 
competence and also make some plays. Like if I'm really buying that, then I think Zion. But Ja is a guard. Like you can deal with a guard being bad on defense. I think Ja wants to be better there. I think he'll improve to some degree. Whereas Zion, if he it turns out to not be that great in the playoffs, we just don't know yet. Like the strides he's taken have been good, but we just don't know yet. Uh, then that really is, you know, at the four position, that's just really, really hard to deal with. Then you also have, you know, if you're looking on some other teams like Zion, you still do want to have shooting around him. And, and I guess I also think maybe Jaw is harder to stop in the playoffs than Zion. Because, like Zion, it's like he's going to just completely kill 28 teams in the league or maybe, you know, maybe 26 teams in the league. But if you go up, like, he struggled with, like, Walker Kessler in that. Like, if you can have a rim protector there that is going to cause him problems, there are a few guys like that. He doesn't really have a plan B, whereas Ja is not going to struggle with something like that. He's too quick. He's got a mid-range game. Like, you can see him developing a three-pointer. That would be an antidote to that as well. Like, that's that's happening. Like, there isn't really, a, John, I would say, like, Zion is just, he's kind of like Giannis, although we always thought Giannis would develop a jumper and he never did, but he's kind of like Giannis in that he's just, the only way he can get better offensively is to just like get better at the stuff that he's already doing. Like, whereas Ja, I think could open up some new frontiers for himself with just even kind of average skill development of his jump shot. So John, any last thing you wanted to say here uh, on these guys uh, before we, I I think I'm going to leave Ja at number two, but uh, any last uh, thoughts here? Not really. I think I kind of, uh, em- emptied my uh, my thought barrel already here. Uh, you know the the <laughs> shooting part piece of it, I guess, is the other part. With that, that's where I was going to go. Like so, as much as I love Zion, you, we've seen him be significantly more successful when you pair him with another front court player who has incredible jump shot. Because otherwise, they can the other team can have all these guys around the paint, and that means if you're, it's harder to build an optimized squad around Zion Williamson because you still need that defensive anchor too. So you're looking for a unicorn. And those unicorns for, fortunately exist. And it just so happens the Pelicans have hopefully the resources to do it, or maybe it can be Larry Nance well enough. But that's not something that is relevant. John Morant can thrive with a lot of different things around him. And I guess the last thing too is when you look at like the leadership and intangibles, I would go with John Morant over Zion, Zion Williamson uh, on that too. I think Zion has made some strides there, but yes. like Ja is the leader of his team. Zion Williamson, it's like, all right, well, hey, could you call CJ McCollum back? Like we're less than a year removed to, from that. There's been all these kind of weird things with his camp and the organization. So, um, so yeah, development grade for John Morant, I'll go with a seven. And Zion, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't play at all last year. Um, but I think his defense has gotten better. So I'll go with the seven for him also. I might give him an eight. Yeah. I gave, I gave Zion an eight and Ja a six, though I should probably move that up to a seven because of where he was last year. The playoff success is very important in that. Okay, so that's the end of our tier two. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor 
for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style so level up your game indochino go to indochino.com and use the code per easy to remember because john invented it use per to get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that per code to let them know you came from us I remember after college, before I was going to move on to the next chapter of my life, my buddy and I went to Hilton Head, South Carolina to work some summer jobs and hang out. We had a great time, except for his car. His car was awful. We called it the POS. It was like a 91 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra. We're allowed to talk about Oldsmobile now that it's a defunct brand, right? Is that okay? This thing had the turning radius of a World War I battleship, broke down all the time, just a, a miserable vehicle to drive. And when customers are rushing to your store, you want a point of sale system that you can trust, not a real POS like my buddy's car. You need Shopify for retail. It makes it easy to accept payments, manage orders, and build relationships with customers. You can sell in person, backed by everything that you need to sell online, track every sale across your business in one place, know exactly what's in stock, connect with customers in line and online. You can drive in-person store traffic with plug-and-play tools for marketing campaigns on social media. Get great hardware that fits your business, accept credit cards, mobile payments, every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing starting on day one. Plus, their award-winning help is there to support you every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash PER. All lowercase, easy to remember slash PER because John invented PER. Go to shopify.com slash PER to take your retail business to the next level. Today, that's shopify.com slash per john you don't have to say all uh, all of them yet actually no maybe you should give me everyone in your tier three everyone in my like, tier three all unless right unless it's like 30 guys no i have five players in my next tier wow okay that's i i had four so let's uh let's hear them paulo Boncaro, evan mobley tyrese halliburton lamello ball and franz wagner Ooh, so uh, there's a name that is missing there uh i had anthony edwards i did not have franz i have a lot lower this is be i have him down in my tier four in like the eight to twelve range so i have edwards in here and i don't have Lamelo. how about you danny my tier three is seven guys so it's actually the rest of my top 10 okay um so that'll that'll it'll say some things but so um should i just i'll just i guess i'll just rattle it off uh yeah well who who are the ones is there anyone that we haven't mentioned yet that that's in that group uh, I have two. Okay. Darius Garland and Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah. So so I think we're we're all pretty pretty close here. Uh, so my tier three, I got four through seven. Edwards is actually my number four. Halliburton five, Mobley six, uh, Bancaro seven. Um, and Edwards is twenty one. Halliburton twenty two. Mobley twenty one season and Bancaro age twenty season. Uh, this will be as again all of their ages uh, as of February first uh, this year. So, John, I'll let you lead off. Paolo at number four, a guy you did not even have him on your board at number one, I think, in the draft this year. This was, I had him second, and, yeah. Or second, yeah. So, 
Uh, tell me why Paolo Banquero is your number four. I think he's been pretty impressive at a very young age uh, to the point where I think he's I think he's pretty clearly the, the lead guy in, in an offense or can be the lead guy in an offense. Now, there are some efficiency questions here, right? Yeah, yeah. You talk about a guy who's shooting 31 from three. Form looks okay, not amazing. Um, can be a little stiff still sometimes uh, in terms of being a shot creator. Uh, I don't think he's going to be like an amazing defensive player. Like, I think he'll be fine, but that's not, there's not a lot of value add there. At the same time, like, this is like, they, these guys are just, are just so rare. Like, his true shooting is actually decent, even with him not making threes because he draws, he's drawing a ton of fouls. Like I said, he's a good passer. I, th- I think he's only going to keep refining that. If, uh, if Orlando acquires players who can actually make a shot, uh, I think that might, might help, um, you know, maybe like some guards. Um, cause you, you've seen even like just getting Fultz and Anthony back. It's like, Oh, okay. Now we're a real team. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of upside, uh, for him to be either the, either the lead guy on a decent to good offense or the number two guy on a great offense. And so that was why, like, it was a little hard for me. I went back and forth on him and Mobley, but I just couldn't get there on Mobley's offense. I, you know, I just don't know if he's ever going to be like that kind of guy. Uh, so, well, and and John, that ties in with what why I ended up with Bancaro fourth as well is mm. the that oh shit undeniable factor. Where I mean, it was funny. I was watching. I think it was the first of the two games okay, they played against the Celtics, which the Magic won both of where Brian Scalabrini just, just keeps on going off about how big Paolo Bencaro is. And like you see, I mean, Paolo Bencaro, rookies don't usually get calls. He's averaging 8.6 free throw attempts per 36 minutes on a team that had no guards, on yeah. a team that has very weird spacing. And generally speaking, that's something I believe in. It, you know, it, we're not at a full season sample or anything like that. But Bencaro has something that you can put your hat on. He has been capable enough defensively. You know, it's kind of the Zion threshold to an extent where it's like you can can be a piece within your system and we'll see what happens in the playoffs eventually i don't know when we'll see we'll see how many games the magic win the rest of this year and again i talked in the intro about how that mvp first team second team all nba upside is is a really big priority for me and if i were to guess any player that we haven't discussed that wasn't in that top three that reaches at bare minimum second team all nba i'm saying it's paulo Ooh, yeah, I, I had Paul at seven, but again in this tier. So I okay, you guys, you guys may well be right about him. I I guess I'm just not quite believing him as an elite scorer. Yeah, like I just I don't think he quite has the moves. I like I don't. It, it's now may, maybe that can be him working against smaller players. Like I, I compared him to kind of a later career Blake Griffin in the draft process and I'm still kind of feeling pretty good about that uh, but I'm just I still wonder about like how unstoppable is this guy going to be in isolation maybe it's just he's going to be so much bigger like I think he's I've seen him struggle in isolation against centers so now maybe he just becomes such a good shooter that then you got to get out on him he can blow by um I think his defense has been better than advertised for sure like he actually guarded Jason Tatum in those Celtics games and like I he was okay in isolation, and then you know usually whoever you're going to have him guarding one on one, like he'll switch, so he doesn't have to really get over a screen. But you know, I think that's and he's could defend okay at the rim without fouling. He's not going to do much as a help defender, but he's not going to be someone you attack. I, I feel pretty confident about that at this point. Um, but yeah, I guess I just don't 
I'm just a little bit worried that he's going to be like a dominating scorer and that like good defenses will be able to shut him down. But at 20, you know, I'm still very much open to uh, the idea of of having him higher as we talk through this. So I, I mean, I've, I'm almost kind of talking myself into because I'm like, man, I don't know if this is even like a great reason to well, have yeah, him like, I mean, blow these other guys. I, I think an interesting comparison, and this was one I grappled with because I kind of thought about my players in different. Originally, it was in different silos. So you had the like offensive engine guys, so the Albertons of the world, and then you had the and that had some bigs. We, we'll talk about Mobley shortly, I'm sure, and then the wild cards. And I, I what I eventually came to was this idea like I love Tyrese Halliburton and I think he he has earned a place in this tier for me and and um, I think he's probably around this for all of us. But if I were to guess whether Halliburton or Bancaro, like which of them is the best player in a playoff series against a credible opponent first? Like I, I love Halliburton for what he is, but I just he's not physically dominant enough necessarily for that. And like he's a different type of player. I mean, I had Halliburton, he just missed my all NBA and Paolo wasn't there so far. So it's it's kind of in a weird way, and I think Nate, one of the guys we can talk about next is Anthony Edwards. In a way it's kind of the same bet as Anthony Edwards for a different player. So I guess maybe the thing about Paolo for me is that we're getting to the point here in these rankings where maybe it's more valuable to be an awesome number two than a number one because if this if these guys were going to be number ones then they'd be higher right like to just like number one on a best on a championship team where like to be Tyrese Halliburton like I agree with you Danny like I don't know if he could be the best player on a championship team but I feel very confident he could be the second best player. And he, with his shooting ability, he fits in. I'm a little worried about his defense in the playoffs too, but like he's probably a top 20 offensive player in the NBA right now. Like he could be like a Chris Paul, possibly level of player, maybe not quite as dominating as an on-ball pick and roll score, but be, he also can shoot the ball and, you know, come off screens, push the ball in transition. Like he can do everything, play any role offensively so I feel like he can just fit in offensively on so many teams and oh by the way he's playing by far the best of any of the guys left on this list I would say this season like he's a top 20 and maybe even higher offensive player in the NBA right now he's top five in total usage you know 10.7 assists per game I mean, it's just a, a pretty insane so John I, I we've thrown a lot out there here um do you anything more on Paolo or, or you want to uh, talk Halbert in a little bit here yeah, we can talk Halburn. I had him number six. Uh, again, for all the reasons you mentioned, uh, I like him a little better than Lamelo Ball, who I had seventh. Even though uh, Ball is still uh, younger by a year or two, I believe. Um, yeah, and you know, with Lamelo, it's a little bit like with Tyrese and Sack. Like you have to separate the player from the shit show that's surrounding them. Or, yeah. or at least attempt to. Uh, th- there are things that trouble me about a Lamelo as far as like when you move to the highest levels. Like what? What is he do- like in the half court? There's still this question of like, like what do you do actually? Um, like as awesome yeah. as he is in transition. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of concern with that. But yeah. I-, I wish we just had more of a sample from this season. Like I've yeah. actually really liked what I've seen from him in the what I think seven games. Yes, that he's that he's played. Like I think he actually has come in with some new tricks as a shooter this year. But yeah, I mean it was just it was tough. You just had to kind of just go on what he did last year and like extrapolate forward. So that's that's why I had him a little bit lower. Uh, you know, I'm kind of worried about his defense as well. But yeah, I, I, that's why I couldn't put him in the, in this group. And maybe he would have done enough if he had played to get himself into this group. Oh, you didn't. Ha- you did not have him in this tier. 
Uh, no, I had him in my next group. I did have him at the top of my next group. Though, okay. Number eight. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, so, but yeah, but let, let's finish up on, on Halliburton real quickly here. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, how do you feel about these, uh, this idea of like Tyrese Halliburton being, you know, the best player on a good playoff team? I think that could be the case next year. Yeah. But it's like probably the best player on like an Indiana Pacers good playoff team. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. yeah. Hey, 48 wins, fifth seed, you know, maybe we win around and then play Boston or Milwaukee and just get stomped. His his isolation game, like some of the numbers on it actually have been okay and like his off the dribble shooting, but I do wonder, like it's a really locked in defense, you know, that has capable switch defenders. Like, can he really beat that? You know, and like, okay, maybe he can find the guy slipping, like use his passing some, but at the end of the day, like, you can only be so good in the NBA if you can't beat an elite defense one-on-one and another kind of element along those lines is Halliburton 6'5 he has you know he has good height for a point guard but you don't really see that impact too much defensively he hasn't I I I thought I hoped Halliburton was going to be maybe a little bit more of a not as much a defensive playmaker steal rates all right but a you know a more capable like he's in front of the guy and doesn't make an obvious mistake type of player like i don't think he's a sieve i think that's you know and, and when you get into the higher levels you you have to you have to have some other stuff around him and i think that's fine but i, I and i and i love Halliburton and i mean the like for like in terms of a development score like he got a 9 for me like i, I and maybe that's maybe it should have been a 10 just because of how how he's improved and remember when we did this last year Tyrese Halliburton like he was in my he wasn't even in my honorable mention. He was in my prospects to watch, though I believe yeah. at that point he was still on the Kings. Yeah, no, he was. I, I looked it up, actually. He was averaging like 13 points and six assists with like league average true shooting. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess there's a good argument that De'Aaron Fox and him maybe weren't the best fit together. Yeah. Uh, but I was I was kind of like, you know, Tyrese Halliburton was just like a, a guy, you know I mean? But it, and that's it's sort of the danger of doing it at this time. Uh, it clearly was very wrong uh, that, you know, I didn't think he had the juice to be the lead engine of a, a good offense. And that obviously is, was wrong. Like he, he already is doing that at 22. Um, John, Anthony Edwards, not in this tier for you. I had him 10th. Um, I guess I, what, what are the things that he's really good at right now? Like shot creation, I guess. And that I mean, could, that offers 7% from three that offers really difficult attempts. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, John. Okay. Yeah. So there, so like there's definitely upside with that, but like Franz Wagner is younger than he is. And I think he's a better player right now. So that, that's why I had Wagner in this tier and Edwards in the next one. Um, I don't know. Am I, am I crazy for thinking that? No, I don't think you're crazy for thinking that. I, I might you think I'm crazy for entirely different reasons. <laughs> Well, it depends like what your coffee intake is at, at that particular time. <laughs> um, but I, I, so for for me, Edwards, I I again, I really struggle with this. I'm even open to moving moving these guys around. But I, I think Edwards still has the highest upside of this group, and that's eventually what I defaulted to. And to see him guarding John Morant in the playoffs, shooting forty percent for three, which I, you know that's subject to some vagaries, but you know, it, I mean, he's been now. Over 35% from three on a very difficult diet of attempts. Well, Nate, I actually um, have a stat yeah. on that. To, sorry, not yeah. to derail you. But so, no, no, go ahead. Anthony Edwards, the last two years, so this year and last, he roughly shot about 42% on catch-and-shoot threes and 35% on pull-up threes, of course, taking more pull-ups than catch-and-shoots because he has that difficult diet. And, like, yeah, you can shift those proportions around, 
I think like you look, you look at, we, we we wondered about him, and I mean, I had this idea that his his shot selection and the opportunities at Georgia were so bad that it wouldn't take as much to make him a credible shooter. And I think he's established that credible shooter. He's not an ace or anything like that just yet. But like 35% on pretty high volume of pull-up threes for Anthony Edwards, like I'm pretty happy with that. Well, and I will say this. I think that Edwards has the lower median outcome than Halliburton, Mobley, and Ben Carroll. Uh, I, I think that uh, the guys that I have below him, but in this tier as of now, and it's just I, I with that athleticism... That body able to really, I think he'll be able to guard just about anybody that's not like a really great post player in, in theory. Um, extremely athletic. Like it just, if we did this after that playoff series last year, like I think most people, and including me, would be like, well, how is this even a discussion? Like, how is he, like any of these guys it, close to where he is now? He's had a disappointing start to the year. It's kind of been a shit show there uh, as well. Um, you know, he's been part of that. His, he's, Seems like a, a fun guy to be around, but, you know, he came in out of shape and doesn't seem to, like, have the greatest basketball IQ, although he's really improved his defensive effort at times. So, I'm like, there's a lot of risk with him still, but I still think the, the upside is high enough that just for what I value, we're talking about the best guy in a playoff series on a really good team. Like, this is the guy of anyone left on this list other than maybe maybe one other guy that's not even in this tier but he's the guy I could most see possibly doing that even if uh, the as John has noted like he just hasn't been as good as some of these other guys so any reaction to that John yeah I mean that's that's fair I just he's just a guy I wonder if like the idea of Anthony Edwards and the reality of Anthony Edwards are ever going to collide it's, it's a great point. And I mean, with Edwards, part of the sales pitch is if he does the good things that he's doing now and he does the good things he does sometimes, that's a really, really good player. And he hasn't quite accomplished that yet. And I think that's it. it you know, so Edwards last year, so I'm using the full season, 0.852 points per possession as a pick and roll scorer. Add, you can, that goes up to 0.925, including passes. They did have Carl Anthony Towns, the second most offensively talented big man in the entire league on that team. And the... Wolves' offensive numbers when it was just Edwards, no towns, weren't fantastic. But, I mean, incredible athlete and has applied it on both ends of the floor at different times. And then the last thing I want to say on Edwards is 36% total usage. I want to see that significantly higher. And I would argue that some of the best Wolves' offensive games I've watched this year have been Edwards-centric rather than the other guys-centric. Yeah, so let's talk Wagner here now, John, since you have him... Uh, higher than we do i i've got him i don't have him in my top 10 but i have him in the in the 8 to 12 range but towards the bottom of, of that group um D- danny quickly where, where did you have wagner very similar to you he was uh, i i drew the line slightly differently but i seriously considered it from the top 10 it actually hurt me to not include him because yeah. he's done he's done so well he has there there are very few things if you look at franz wagner's nba re- re- resume like i mean i didn't love him as a prospect but he has been excellent yeah so john give me the case for edwards or i'm sorry not edwards uh for wagner in this group uh so i had him eighth um i think when you look at weaknesses with him one of them right now is still the three pointers on the other hand he's an 87 percent career foul shooter so i have maybe a little more faith that that he's gonna uh shape up on on the threes there's a little bit yeah, of like and, that- and quickly on the on that point john just to what you said catch and shoot or, or not catch and shoot but uh Team created threes as per Seth stats 
the basically threes with less than two seconds of touch time. Mm-hmm. He's 42% and he's 25% on self-created threes. That's what's dragging down his numbers. Yeah, and he has some of that uh, thing that Halliburton had, which is because he's shooting a push shot, like the, some of the footwork gets a little screwy and, and it's a little harder for him to gain separation. But he is six foot nine, so um, he has that going for him. I think he is really good when he gets downhill, and if he played in an offense that had more spacing and had more opportunity to do that, he'd, he'd be able to show that more often. I think he's defensively, uh, you know, I, th- I think he's ahead of uh, Edwards, certainly ahead of LaMelo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that wouldn't take much. And, uh, and, and again, he's like, <laughs> he played, people are, I think, I still think people are messed up with him because he played two years at Michigan. Like he's he he's just turned twenty one in August. Yeah, yeah. He has uh, Franz Wagner has the same basketball reference age, so he's uh, basketball reference age twenty one. That's the same as Lamelo Ball, Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Anthony Edwards. So it's like you you we don't think of those guys because they came into the league with different statures at different times, but they all have and basketball reference age. You know that's it's sometimes it's about where you are within the block, but. Like, I mean, that's a, a really good point for Wagner is that while he played a couple years in college and, like, he didn't come in the same track, like, he is, he is about that. And you brought up Wagner's defense. I think that's an, it's it, a challenge that I have with him I, as much as I've been impressed by Wagner's defense is what is his role on a successful team? Because he, he, he might be being hurt by me unfairly in the same way that I've criticized somebody like Lowry Markkinen, where it's like, he doesn't really he I don't love him as a help defender. I don't love him as an on-ball guy, but he can do everything pretty well. Like how valuable like if you John if you were constructing a team, what would your vision be for what you want Wagner's defensive role to be? I think he's guarding threes and fours interchangeably. Like I I don't, I don't think I would ever use him as a 5, but you know, he's just in my switchable scheme 1 through 4 or whatever. Like I I think he could handle all that and be and be fine. And that's I honestly, that's, that's usually what you're asking of most of these, most of these guys in, in high level games. What about his, his offensive role, John? Like, what do you see uh, as his uh, offensive upside? Because that was the issue that I had as far as bringing him up of just, are you really giving this guy the ball uh, all the time? Or is it kind of more a complimentary piece? Like, let's have him get downhill, you know, f- from the second side and get to the basket. But we can't just throw this guy the ball and let him distribute to everyone out of pick and roll or out of the post or something like that. I I think right. I mean, right now, I think he's a he's a number two, right? Like they, yeah. you're, you're on a good. I, he's not he's not carrying you to a top ten offense right now. Like there's no way. Um, but again, he's he's young enough. Now he doesn't he doesn't have crazy explosiveness, but he handles the ball very well for his size. He's very good once he gets downhill with the long strides and the leaping. Oh yeah. Uh, so, so he's got that going for him. He's pretty good in transition. So again, again, he's just not taking anything off the table, really. And and especially if you can just if you just make a few more threes off the dribble, I think that would really open up some things for him. Now, man, I don't know. Maybe that never comes around. But I, I guess like I like him a lot in pick and roll, getting to those long strides against the drop coverage. Like he'll just go at anybody, and like he doesn't shoot an amazing percentage. Overall, in contested finishes at the rim, like I think he's in the the mid fifties there, but he's taking incredibly difficult shots. He's only going to get better at that, and like he, those like running hooks that he has, the euro steps, like it's incredible for that. But I don't 
other than that in his offensive game, he's like a, you know, he's a capable kind of cutter and team player. But I just like, if you're going to switch against him, how is he getting to his shot? That's kind of the question that I have. Like, he doesn't really have a mid-range game. You mentioned he kind of shoots that set shot. Got like a little bit of floater game. But how is he going to create a shot one-on-one? That's the ultimate question that prevented me from putting him a little bit higher. Okay, that will do it for part one of the top prospects in the NBA. We will have the conclusion out tomorrow. Talk to you all soon. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the top prospects in the NBA. This is, of course, part two. We left off after part one talking about Franz Wagner. So let's pick it up here. As we get through the rest of our top 10, the honorable mentions, the players to watch, and basically anyone that you want to hear us talk about at least a little bit who is a prospect age 23 and under. We pick it up here now talking about Evan Mobley. I I had a really hard time ranking Mobley. Um, Yeah, So I'm curious to hear what your guys' thoughts were. Because the offense, I mean, he's made a few strides. Like, I think he's gotten a little better at posting up. But the fact that his jumper is just completely MIA from three is concerning. And maybe maybe he'll get back to that. But he's never, to me, been like, you know, someone that I was supremely confident that that would be a big part of his game. And I don't think he's, like, he's a good finisher around the basket. But I don't think he's, like, a great role man as far as, like, catching the ball near the free throw line. Like, he'll make a decision, but he's not doesn't really have that, like, Euro step around you go up and dunk on you type of thing. So like, he's not like, I hope that he could take some strides forward to be maybe like an Anthony Davis sort of guy on offense. And that I think that that ship has sailed for me at this point. So now you're talking about like, it starts with his defense. Is he going to be the best defensive player in basketball or, and then just like kind of an okay offensive player. Like that's kind of, that's what I see as like the upside. I've just, this last year is kind of, it's not totally eliminated it for me, but the idea of him being a guy who's like an all-star level of offensive player, like he's probably an all-star when he put in his defense too, but an all-star level of offensive player, I I got my doubts there now at this point. Yeah, I mean the idea when he came out was that he could be Chris Bosh, and I just I just don't know yeah, if he's ever yeah. going to offer that level of perimeter game. Uh, well, it, was, it's funny he he went he went kind of from Chris Bosh to Bam Adebayo. And then yeah. we haven't really seen that part of it. In part, that's because the Cavs' offense is is doing things differently because they have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, but and and Jared they, Allen. So that and they Jared have, Allen, yeah, yeah, for sure. And so like and and with 
with Evan Mobley, I had him sixth last time, and part of that was when we recorded this, and we, it was a smaller sample than it ended up being, and that bore out. So, like, he was third in defensive EPM last year. Or at that point when we recorded, he ended up, I, I believe, was around 20th. And, like, so, I mean, Nate had used the phrase the best defensive player since Tim Duncan, and I think that was... Or defensive defense, rookie. Yeah, defensive rookie, yeah. Defensive rookie since Tim Duncan. And, like, what he was doing, and, he, and the versatility defensively was very intriguing, where it wasn't just... Rudy Gobert, as, and this is not meant to denigrate Rudy Gobert of standing around the basket, it was maybe he can do those other things. That recovery block that he had on Desmond Bain was decidedly Anthony Davis at Kentucky-esque. And we were, you know, coming off more closely then to Davis being the best defensive player in the playoffs when the Lakers won the bubble title. And I, I think that there's the, there's this idea, and I mean, Mobley can absolutely still be that guy. I mean, he's 21 years old, but he hasn't been as dominant so far this year. And the the playing with Jared Allen and like the Mobley only minutes haven't gone quite as well defensively. And I haven't done enough digging yet into the stats to say that, you know, it could be shooting luck. It could be something else. But so I actually still have him at seven, but like Mobley is interesting because I generally turn more heavily on guys that I really believed in at some point in the process. And they're so like, I have him seven still, but I wonder where I'm going to be a year from now. I'm actually I'm actually changing my board. Um, I I did Mobley five when I first did this, and I don't think I can I don't think I can support that. I ju- I just don't think the os- offensive ceiling is high enough. I think the logical thing for me is to put Mobley eight and Jaron nine. Um, g- given the some of the similarities there. I, um, so I, I actually want to go to a player who plays on the same team as, as Evan Mobley, and that's Darius Garland. I'm interested. So I, when I started working through this, one of my parts was, and it's so interesting because each of them has had moments and then had not moments, but like I found it too hard to put Halliburton, Garland, and LaMelo Ball in different tiers just because each of them have had some really high highs. They each have these specific flaws, almost all of them on defense. You guys, I believe all of you did not have, both of you did not have Garland in the same tier, and I'm interested in what the rationale there was. I thought, so I had sort of a, a B tier after this one where I had Jaron and Edwards and Darius Garland, and then there's like the great chasm after that into everyone else. Um, I guess... I didn't think his highs were that high, and he's kind of one of the old men of the group now. So I feel like he should be performing higher to justify being higher on the list in yeah in year four. Yeah, that's a that's a like good point. Fifty six percent true shooting. Yeah, like he's a good player. I just don't, like is he ever going to make another All Star team? I have my doubts. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe he could uh, like. Being paired with Donovan Mitchell this year, you would think maybe he would be more efficient than he has been. He had a rough start to the year with this eye laceration, and you know he hasn't had the ball as much. Like that's an adjustment for guys for sure. But yeah, I mean to be statistically worse this season is a disappointment. And yeah, I do think the defense is ultimately going to be a problem. I've I feel better about him as kind of like a a low level offensive engine, uh, but. Yeah, and I do like what he can do in isolation. Like, his ability to shoot the three off the pick and roll, I think, is really important. Like, so many teams could use that. Uh, But, yeah, I just – I don't think he has the same upside. And now, his size on defense, like, I don't know if he's worse on defense than Ball or Halliburton. He probably is because those guys at least get some steals and – And rebounders. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Um, But but also, I think just the offensive upside for Ball and Halliburton as bigger players – maybe it's a little bit higher as well. well so 
what and, and those guys are are younger. True, they are. And what I think drew me to Garland as like, I and I think of them as kind of connected. I put Garland over Ball is in part his ability to function alongside another good player. It's I mean the reason why Garland's efficiency has really dropped this year. I mean shooting three pointers at basically the same volume as he did last year, but it's that he's instead of. 51% from two, which was a high watermark last year. He's at 46, which is actually closer to Garland's career average. That is a significant concern. There are some spacing issues, of course, for the Cavs. But the idea that Garland, due to his, uh, I mean, Garland right now, I believe that's this year, he's shooting 1.368 points per possession on catch and shoots. Like, that's fantastic. And so the idea that you could pair him with another good player. If that other good player happens to be guard size as well, you run into a bunch of defensive problems, which we'll see how Cleveland deals with that in the playoffs. Hopefully they're good enough to make some real noise there. So like with Garland, I, and I mean, Lamelo was hard in this respect too, because Lamelo Ball conceptually is the least bad, like the, his size makes him a more capable cog in the machine. I just think he's been so bad execution wise on defense in his career. So it's the, and we're, we're at the point now where it's not like, for and it's weird to use Ben Simmons for this, but like where Ben Simmons was trash on defense in college, but once he got in the pros, you're like, okay, he's a smart player. He's applying that athleticism and physical body. Like Lamelo Ball is in his third season now, and he still seems lost all the time. Yeah, and I don't expect this in this weird. Like this is going to be the season, hopefully, where Lamelo just gets the keys offensively and takes big strides there. I don't think uh, he's going to be doing a ton. Uh, on defense this year so yeah i I guess so i did have garland uh, lower down uh, at uh, number nine for me Uh, and i I have lamello a little bit higher we've often compared those two guys um john you started to get into jaron though and he is he does qualify here uh at age 23 and so i i had some trouble with him take us through your thinking in terms of where you put him and and i think comparing him to mobley is also kind of an interesting exercise yeah so full disclosure obviously i was with the grizzlies when we drafted him uh the two biggest things that have hurt him are fouls and injuries right that that have you know limited his total impact in minutes i think offensively he probably tops out as a number two or number three even uh the three-point weapon, when it's going, is very valuable. He has great footwork. He can run away from bigs on pin downs. Uh, like he's got some interesting stuff there. He's he's pretty good when he can when he catch a guy in the block. Uh, he just has a lot of dribble blindness, and so when he put when he puts it on the floor, he runs guys over, picks up offensive fouls. Uh, so so that part is still a pretty big weakness. Uh, but defensively. Other than the fouls, he's he's only played 14 games this year. But when he's played, he's been the best defensive player in the league. I mean, he's been freaking awesome. And so, I for for that reason, I think he's a really really high level complimentary player who can like who can be that guy on a championship level team. And so, I, I think there's a lot of value there. So he's not. You know, he's not the same age as Mobley, so I give Mobley the benefit of the doubt still. So I put Mobley 8, Jared 9, but he's he clearly belongs in this discussion to me. Yeah, I think there is a reasonable argument that, uh, yeah, and, and yeah, maybe I will move Mobley down. I, I'm starting to think about that too, because I do think there is a reasonable argument that Jackson is a better prospect that, than Mobley, even for being, you know, uh, the, the three drafts and two years different in age. Um, because I think like there's just a little bit more 
ability maybe or thought that he could dominate defensively like the health thing like Mobley doesn't really have any health concerns at at least as of so far and Jaron definitely does and the fouling concerns he's cut down on the fouling only three fouls a game but he's you know it's just it's hard to to see Jaron just like and it's it's hard for a lot of bigs to just get out there for 35 minutes a game you know and and he's just hasn't been able to do that due to injuries and minutes limits and, and fouls and stuff and so uh, if he didn't have the injury history and didn't have the fouling, I think maybe he is right there with Mobley. But I do. There's an argument to me that he has a higher upside. Like I think he's be a more dominating shot blocker and steals guy. And then the offense, like you know, if he could throw together again, and he's shooting 37 percent from three in very limited time this year. But like he'll space the floor. Like, he's going to get guarded out there. Like I think there's he doesn't pass the way Mobley does. Um, but I think he probably is going to be an easier fit offensively like with the fact because Mobley both these guys you want to like all right they a full-time center like how's that gonna work uh but Jaron to me is probably has a little bit more offensive juice than Mobley but again Mobley's only two years younger so I'm really struggling with this Danny you want to weigh in here the timing of these prospect pods is so fascinating because if we had done this at the end of last year one of the things Nate you and I would have obsessed over is that Jaron Jackson Jr., as great as he was defensively last year, led the league in block percentage and had some really great moments on yeah. the Grizzlies. And, both and he took a massive step forward last year defensively. Right. Like we had but not seen any of that from him the first two years. Jaron Jackson Jr. also had 53.5% true shooting last year on 25 usage. He he converted less than 50% of his twos, 40, 48%. And didn't make threes. I mean, his career thirty five percent just didn't didn't fall last year. Now, yeah. I don't think that is a fair sample of what Jaron Jackson Jr. is as an offensive player. I hope that what he's done so far is is more representative. This is a you know this is a high point for him offensively versus the low of the end the end of last year. And so with Jackson, I actually see it in some ways as a similar case to like I talked about the patchwork quilt with the Anthony Edwards sales pitch, where it's like. There is a good offensive player in here, and we've seen it for stretches. It's just where it's it is more of a number two, number three offensively. And John, the question I want to ask you, especially because of your connection with drafting him, kn- knowing what we know now, we talked about ideal defensive role for Franz Wagner. Is he both a four and a five? Is he like what? Yeah, is, I, I think I think you start him at the four and you have him finish at the five. That, so that's kind, his kind ideal of like role. Draymond in that respect. I mean, they're not the same defensive player, but that kind of theory of the case. Yeah, I mean, we knew. So when we drafted him, his body hadn't filled out yet, and we still had Mark. So it was like, okay, he'll start off at the four. But we thought long term, he would. You know, when he's twenty-seven years old, he'll probably play most of his minutes at the five. Well, he's, he's 23 now. We're like halfway there to that transition, oh, oh, right? So you're, so you're, not, you're not talking about within a game. Like that was what I was talking about with Draymond. You're talking about within a career. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What but about within, and, a but game? within a game, within a game right now, that guy is the guy you want starting the game at the four and then finishing at the five. I still think it, it's too easy for him to pick up fouls when he plays five. So you probably you probably don't yeah. want to go the distance that way with that. And then he's gotten better as a rebounder, but that's still... As a five, he still doesn't rebound as much as you would like. Well, something I would love to see a team do, um, and I mean, they, the Grizzlies just extended Steven Adams, so that's a more complicated, but we're, we're not necessarily tethering these players to their current situation because that's not fair in either a positive or a negative direction, depending on the circumstance. Is Jaron, I agree with you. I think that he has problems defensively against specific fives is that it also gives you a really fascinating competitive advantage you know like if you if you can use that pick and pop so maybe you don't fear playing him against certain guys and you you roll into it at certain points but the problem is 
coaches, front offices generally like consistency, and players do too. So I'm not sure that it's worth the effort to be like, okay, let's give Jaron the reps starting and defending against, I don't know, like Clint Capella, where it's like, okay, Clint Capella's not going to beast Jaron Jackson too badly other than on the glass sometimes, versus like Joel Embiid, where you're just worried that he's going to pick up a bunch of fouls. Let's talk a little more about LaMelo. I don't think we've hit on him much yet, and it seems like his brand is kind of damaged like he was the rookie of the year he made the all-star team last year the hornets won 43 games with him as their best offensive player they were the number six offense and yeah they had some other guys but he was like their biggest usage guy really good in transition uh looks like he's shooting the ball even better this season i realize their defensive concerns i realize that there are concerns about his ability to finish from two like he just has to get better there although that's one of the things as you've often noted john that does really improve for guards over time still this is only his age 21 season he's been out obviously with these two ankle issues the hornets suck this year so they're kind of it seems like he's just a bad brand right now as a prospect and like it also like it sort of feels like he's hasn't developed but like if you really look at it he has so talk a little bit more about him. You had him up in this group with uh, the Halliburton yeah. and uh, Bancaro. So why does he deserve to be there in your view? I had him a little bit below, but I'm also like, I am kind of wary about like turning on him as a prospect too early here. I still think there's a lot of best player on a good team upside with him uh, mm. to be, you know, kind of that, that triple double machine, that big ball handling guard. You can put lots of different players around him and it doesn't matter because he's going to, you know, he's going to find the shooters. He's going to find the, the bigs for dunks. Like he just makes the game so much easier for everyone else around him at the offensive end. He doesn't quite have the polish of Halliburton, especially in the in the half court. He's just a little – there's still a lot of – what a coach would say, there's still a lot of bullshit to his game, I guess, like where he just – you know, he'll take some half-assed shots. He'll take plays off. Um, and, and so that – that I think that's part of the reason why maybe I'm inclined to go with Halliburton over him. But I wonder if maybe – you know, we talk about ceiling all the time. I still think ball ceiling is higher than Halliburton's. So maybe, so I, I, I question that in my own head. I think it's very close there, five and six. I think that's all completely fair. And like I mean, like John, I have LaMelo in the same tier. It's just that my tier is so big that it looks like a huge difference between, let's say, Halberton at six and LaMelo at nine. And I'm open to putting him over Garland. That's a really tough call for me. And part of it for me with Ball is he hasn't been an effective, like, pick and roll scorer for himself and so the idea but he's generating quality offense in that through passing he's a wonderful passer and the Hornets had an interesting mix of characters last season we're obviously too small into the sample this year he's played seven games so the idea that he can be the best player on a high on on a very good offense I think I think we already have a fair amount of that information over the last few years it just didn't necessarily occur this year was more last year But the idea, and we haven't gotten to see this yet other than some playing games, of if you're switching, if you are playing higher level opposition, and this was a criticism I had of Halliburton as well, what is he going to do? Like We've said one of the big differences in the playoffs is teams get back more in transition defense. And generally speaking, you have teams that are more switch capable. Whether or not they actually do it is another question. And both of those things, to me accentuate weaknesses that ball currently has though they are not weaknesses that ball necessarily will have forever 
Yeah, and he's just watching him this year. Like he's been more aggressive shooting from three. Like he's been taking some deep threes, and he's hitting forty percent of them. Again, this is only seven games, so it's tough to get too excited. But he's actually shooting fifty-two percent from two as well. Uh, you know, the Hornets have been competitive when he's played. They have not been when he hasn't played. Uh, they've had uh, other injuries as well, but uh, you know, he just, and I think he's come back in working on like a two point jump shot, which he didn't really have before to actually like get to a spot and rise up. So that should help his isolation and pick and roll games. Some, uh, yeah, I share your concerns, Danny, of like, you know, in against in the playoffs against the best offense or best defenses, you know, how is he going to be? A leading scorer but I think it, you know there's I'm not going to say that like Tyrese Halliburton is for sure better than him uh, at this point um it's just that Halliburton has has played this year and played it in a a good offensive system and, and ball has been hurt but uh you know there is a little bit like from like a kind of basketball character standpoint you like Halliburton a lot more than ball like he's in a kind of weird Weird guy has, you know, not the guy that you're like, oh, this guy's just like a great leader for us the way someone like Ja or Halliburton might be. So I, I guess that's the feeling to just uh, put him in a lower tier than Halliburton. But I, I agree, you know, it's just like like watching him, you just don't, John, like, I just don't feel like, like he's got this magic, but he also just doesn't feel on like a possession to possession basis of like, okay, this is like the heliocentric hub of our offense but then you look at some of the advanced numbers and he does play at that level yeah and part of that i mean to his credit i mean he makes a lot of quick hit aheads and so yeah let's let's other guys thrive at a thrive at a high level and then the hornets had you know they didn't play a lot of i don't want to say real lineups like they i don't know but like when you're out there playing with like pj washington at five and like you know all six seven guys like it's just a different you know, they were just trying to play offense and crazy fast. So you just wonder yeah. how that translated to different environments. No, I think that that's a, a reasonable point. And particularly they had really good spacing. He still couldn't shoot well from two last year either. And so, yeah, like the, the shake, the isolation stuff, the finishing at the rim. But th- those are things that guys that can improve for sure. Right, Nate. I'm really happy you, you went there. And like, it, it's funny because we, you and I have talked about them in conjunction a fair amount with LaMelo and Anthony Edwards, obviously in the same draft class. And what I, one of the things I really like about both of them and why they could be real risers, depending on where we end up with them, is the idea that the, the weaknesses that they have in their games are more correct. You still have to actually do it. Like LaMelo, if the the three if the shot is looking more more real now the two point finishing which generally improves over the course of a career and then with lamello more so than edwards though both of them the defensive execution consistency can get there like that is a player who can consistently impact winning like they're and it's so funny cuz i used to compare lamello ball with his brother lonzo and lonzo improved a lot defensively that reluctance to get to the free throw line really i thought that that changed his offensive game and by the way lamella ball career now 83 percent free throw shooter and that that's yep. a, that's a real positive that also could potentially bode well for this three-point success that he's had last year and this year being real so i ended up moving lamella over garland i think i might regret still having him as low as eight but there i mean the, one of the hard things that for for him and this might end up being true for edwards hopefully it's not for both of them is the biggest thing they can do is succeed against high-level competition, and odds are pretty damn high that LaMelo Ball is not going to get a ton of those opportunities this season. 
So, John, is there anyone else in this next in the tiers of the players we've discussed that you haven't mentioned yet? Uh, no, I'm in. I'm into my next. We, there's 11 guys that I think we've talked about, and then um, like pretty big jump to the next tier for me. How about you, Danny? We've gone through. We've gone through that. Though there are, I had three guys in the. I called it seriously consider category. One of which is Franz Wagner, who we've discussed. I had okay. two more that I think are. It's. It's again. It's more of a ceiling argument than a the player they've been argument. But also, I think they're good players to talk about in terms of how this list can evolve and where things go. And that's the top two players taken last year. Um, Cade Cunningham, or wait, was Cade, Cade was, no, was, yeah. Yeah, Cade, Cade was one, Jalen Green, Green, Green was two. Was two. Yeah. And so for both Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green, the argument, and I mean, both Nate and I, and I believe John Ewer we, as well, were high on them as prospects. Can, can we um, talk about Scotty Barnes in the same discussion? Because this is actually yeah. the next, yeah. this is the Absolutely. next three players Absolutely. on my list. Right. For Barnes, Green, and, and Cunningham. So, yeah. I think the play. I, I think I want to start with Kate Cunningham because the idea of what he could be is still there. Like the the capable, ideally dynamic offensive lead guy who is much better defensively than a lot of the others. Like brought up Lamelo just now. Like I think Kate Cunningham can be miles better defensively than Lamelo has been, and then can continue to improve. The problem with Cunningham's argument, and yes, it has been a weird year plus now saddled with injury, both in terms of the surrounding talent and everything else, is he hasn't been that guy yet. I mean, last year, Cade Cunningham had 50% true shooting on, if we're using basketball references version of the stat, 27.5 usage. Like, that's not great. And guys improve. And Cunningham's three-pointer hasn't really come around yet. He's not getting to the line as much. But the theory of what he could be, and remember, Cunningham, this is age 21 season, the theory is still possible. It's just that he hasn't, there's a there's a point where theory succumbs to actuality, and I might be getting there early, but it is definitely a concern. I did have Cunningham in this top twelve, uh, so high, higher than Green or or Barnes, but I I do want to talk about them too, and and I may even be convinced to move Green and and Barnes up. But Cunningham for me, if we did this at the end of last season, I think he's solidly in the conversation with the rest of these guys and the fact that he had this shin issue it didn't go away it apparently affected him all summer and now he has to have this surgery and he's out like how do you deal with that john i guess the way he played the beginning of this year wasn't that far off of my priors where i was like oh i gotta reevaluate now i'm assuming the shin thing is a one-off so i just want to see him shoot the ball better actually like Having watched him shoot like pregame in person, like he's got a really nice looking shot off the off the catch. Everything's just nice and tight and comes out really nice. And I just don't understand why he doesn't get better results. Even I know he shoots a lot off the dribble, but a lot of off catch and shoot too. And he shot the ball well at Oklahoma State. So that that's the part that kind of confounds me because my comp for him was always more as like a Chris Middleton, really high level number two. And, you know, the Pistons, I think, thought they drafted Luka, and I, I just never really believed in that. Uh, so I, it's interesting because I, I have him 12 now. I don't know if I would have had him that much different at the beginning of the year. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. 
the slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The, the, the guy whose ranking really shifted to me is Scotty Barnes. Because I think after last year, if you asked me at the end of last year, I might have had him in the top five. And... Now, just like his his weaknesses are bubbling up and he hasn't really gotten any better. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, maybe, maybe you're not as good as I thought. Yeah, well, let, let's shift to Barnes. I do have a little more on, on Cunningham. But, uh, yeah, I, I, so uh, elaborate on Barnes because you were higher on him than most in the draft. Uh, I was lower on him. You looked like a genius early on. He won Rookie of the Year. I still I thought it should have been Mobley. But still, you know, had a very successful rookie season. So what have you wanted to see from him that you haven't seen? One of the reasons I believed in him was because I really thought he could be an elite defensive player. And on ball, like, he is just straight up bad. And I feel like he's gotten worse, right? Like, it's really puzzling. And then I, I do wonder if some of the spacing issues with Toronto have hurt him more just because he himself is such a non spacer. And and that that's maybe taken away a little bit of his offense. Like again, it's not like his offense numbers aren't terrible this year, but just his true shooting's down to fifty one. You know, he's under fifty percent on twos now. You, you you wanted to see that go up, obviously, with a player this young going into his second year. He still has some really nice physical tools. Like he's huge. He can handle the ball. Uh, he's not crazy explosive, but he's he's pretty good once he gets ahead of steam. Uh, and he you know he sees the court fine. Just if you, if you're not a threat to score again we've you know we'll go back to this music again if you're not a threat to score at a really high level then then what are you as a centerpiece player and then you add to that whereas a year ago you might have might have been able to convince me that he was OG Ananobi with more offense let's say now all of a sudden it's like wait what what happened to you you can't guard anybody it, it's it's interesting how this has evolved and like I mean I I felt dumb for being lower on Barnes even though I thought that there were elements of his rookie year that were overstated let's put it that way in general and and the defense is an interesting part of that and what what my criticism of Scotty Barnes has been for a while is that I don't know exactly what his calling card is on either end of the floor so I don't think Barnes is a good enough he doesn't create enough advantages to be. At this juncture, and again, Scotty Barnes is his age 21 season, lots of time. But at this juncture, I don't think he's good enough with the ball in his hands for a good team to entrust him to do that. And the problem with Barnes is that he's not a good enough shooter to fill in that other role. So offensively, he's more to me like a cog in the machine, at least when we're talking about the higher levels. And then defensively, I don't think of him as an elite on-ball guy. He, he it just uh, he. It, there are parallels to some extent for me with Brandon Ingram at the similar age where it was like, you look at him and he looks like he tries hard and you're like, well, you should be better defensively than you are. And I was very interested why the perception seemed different than my understanding. And like right now, Scotty Barnes has a negative defensive EPM. He's negative 0.7. Not that it's gospel. He, that's worse, like John was saying, than last year. And then also with Barnes, he's not 
that superlative help defender. He he doesn't do the things that Jason Tatum did so well. And it's it's interesting to imagine like like so again, he has the ability to improve at all of these individual things, but like over the years there have been players who have been a part of successful defenses that kind of get coattailed. Let's let's put it that way. And so I I think that with Barnes, the idea that he can become the player that optimists believe that he either was or could be is still there. Like, I think there's there's a damn good player in here if it gets there. But the certainty, you know, there's the can be, will be, is framework that I've used before. That's uh-huh. where it's it's hard with Scotty Barnes. The thing I'm still kicking myself over, going back to that draft, Franz Wagner wrecked Scotty Barnes in the NCAA tournament. Like, just kicked his ass. And I was just like, okay, well, that's an interesting data point, but I don't want to overreact to that. Now it's like... No, actually, like that was the tell, right? Like that was well, for, well, that, for that was the I, that I was think... the thing that should have set me off. Like, no, actually, like this 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 guy actually should be ahead of him. Well, so yeah, I mean, I think it's hard. And with Barnes, somebody who the like has his stock has shifted so dramatically over that time, it's hard. You like, I didn't want to overreact. I think you don't want to overreact. All that type of stuff is a is a fair thing. And I think a player who is in some ways similar to that story is Jalen Green. And Jalen Green, still in his age 20 season, the athletic tools that excited me, excited like a lot of people, even with the questions about how a two guard kind of fits in with all this stuff, like that stuff's still there. He's had some really good performances, but part of it is being on this Rockets team that still hasn't put anything together. Part of it is wondering what Jalen Green's calling card is going to be on offense and defense. Like it, he, there's still plenty of reason for me to believe that he will end up being one of the better players, like from his draft class from this area, but he hasn't done it yet. And each, the longer he doesn't do it over a half season, over a month, the less confident I am that he will. Yeah. I, I, Jalen Green, I had behind Kate and Scotty, like pretty clearly, j- just cause. I just don't think he's filled in nearly like I just don't, he's still not a good player, right? So he he does sure. amazing things sometimes with his physical tools, but I still watch him and I'm like, okay, can this guy actually shoot? Does he does he have really any any feel for the game? He is an unusually bad finisher for an elite athlete. I think he blows tires all the time, which I don't understand, but like he will he will power up to go up and just not elevate at all and get his shit smacked to half court. Um, and then d- defensively, I don't think he's very good. It's tough to separate him from the Rockets as a whole because I think they're just not very sound and there's a lot of transition and whatnot uh, where, they, where they leak all kinds of points. But uh, to me, he was like, so if Cade and Scotty are 12-13, then there's like another pretty big chasm before you get to Jalen Green at 14 and then get into some other guys from like this draft maybe so Jalen Green I would have him above Scotty Barnes I've even thought about possibly having him above Kate Cunningham and I realize that he is not overall an effective NBA player right now but some of the moments that he has like you can really see it I was very high on him as a prospect I think he's really improved his three-point shooting again at times but like his shot looks a lot more compact a lot more versatile he can shoot going to his right now and just the physical ability he has to not only as a leaper but just his ability to get by people like if he just if he takes two dribbles in one direction at maximum speed I don't think there's a single person in the league who can stay in front of him and yeah his finishing has got to get better he's got to draw more fouls he's got to figure out 
a plan at the rim other than jump as high as he can and then you know try to double pump or dunk it. Uh, his passing has got to get better. I think he's made some strides on defense, but I don't. I think he'll be good enough defensively in the end that it's he's not going to like kill your defense on, on a good team. You know, kind of the same way as like a Devin Booker or Bradley Beal type where the numbers look really bad, but you get him in an actual winning situation, he'll be fine. So I like I think he could just be like a nuclear score. Like I think he has just an incredible upside. That's what I'm valuing here. You don't want to fall in love with the flashes, but I think he's still young enough to where I'm I'm okay with that. If he's still 53% true shooting and looks kind of the same next year, then uh, I'm a little more concerned, but like that I've seen enough really good games from him to still believe. Nate, on on that line is your because I mean the pick and roll numbers for Jalen Green haven't been fantastic and context of course matters with the Rockets but about 0.8 points per possession as a pick and roll ball handler last season up to a, a five if you include passes but that's still worse than a lot of these guys is your vision for Green that he will improve as a pick and roll operator that he will function more in a different role maybe it's kind of isolation that kind of stuff like what is, what is your what is your vision for him doing that other than just dramatic improvements, which at age 20, he of course can't. Yeah. I mean, I think pick and roll is great, but you know, wide pin downs, isolation, transition, coming off of screens for three pointers, you know, uh, pin downs. Like I think, you know, back cuts. I think that just, he's able to get his usage up there and generate like reasonably decent shots, even if he's not making all of them right now. So I see him as just a, a, really solid three-level score and like someone who's just like you can't stay in front of possibly again like that's this is if he if I knew he was going to be these things he'd be a lot higher but I think because he has I mean he just has the possibility to be like one of the best scorers in the NBA I I think there's in a way that you know even someone compared to some of these other guys that are a little bit lower on this list to me like Jordan Poole, Tyrese Maxey, Tyler Hero like those are all kind of older guys and maybe he just ends up more in that class but I think he has the ability to be a more dominating scorer. He's got more athleticism, more size than those guys. So that that's why I would have him above Barnes and maybe above Cade, who I still want to talk about a little bit more before we move on. I I see those things in Jalen Green. I just I, – I, I guess I just – the whole – I don't know. It's, it's a little bit like the LaMelo thing. We have to separate the player from the situation. Uh, you know, if he was in a different team situation, I wonder – how he would look. He just comes across as like the guy who's going to finish fourth in the league and scoring on a 28 win team. But maybe that's just because where he is. Yeah. Well, I mean, fourth in the league and scoring is still pretty good. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I, I mean, you do have to have some level of efficiency to get to fourth in the league and scoring. So yeah, I mean, and he's been, uh, he's really improved his free throw drawing this year. That's another thing that I point to. He's up to six free throw attempts a game now. And he's taken more mid-rangers. Like, the three-pointer is not... Like, he still generates a lot of threes. Like, I think it's just the ball's going to start going in for him eventually. And, uh, yeah, you know, assists is up to 3.7 a game. That's not... You know, there's been incremental improvement this year. Let's well, talk a little what, bit. Yeah, go ahead. Wait, sorry, I, before you go to Cade, I, and yeah. I do want to get there, I, I want to just big picture for a second. And this is a snapshot of a moment in time. This is not, we, we all love for our predictions to be right, but you know we know that we're going to miss on some stuff. Think about where we are in relation to the draft equity that the Rockets have had the last couple of years, that the first Rocket we're bringing up is Jalen Green, who none of us have in our top 10, though we all considered him in different levels of intensity. 
And we also haven't talked at all about Jabari Smith, who was the third overall pick. And both of those guys, age 19 season for Jabari, age 20 season for Jalen Green, lots of room to roam, getting a better overall talent level on this team, which will happen, will make a lot of these things different to evaluate and hopefully better. But where we are right now is a little bit dismal for the Rockets with these players. Let's talk about Cade now. You know, we hit on him a little bit. John is saying he's disappointed in his shooting. And I'm I'm just going to st- continue to believe it in the shooting to some degree, or at least the possibility of that shooting. And I kind of just have to discount uh, this season for him due to the injury. Like, I'm almost happier in some ways. I mean, I'm not happier in the sense that he's going to miss the development time. Well, it's, but like Lillard, I'm it's like Lillard last year, where Lillard was having this yeah. weird start to the year. He was, and then we found out he was hurt, and you're like, oh, well, maybe he's just, maybe he's not just aging. And I mean, I think that's worked out relatively well for Dame, other than him missing time. So, and John talked about this. He and I have talked about this too of this, like, is he Luca, you know, 29 and a half usage? I mean, that's a crazy usage for a guy at, at that, his skill level right now. He's just not ready for that at this point. You know, it's everything, he's bringing the ball up, it's all pick and roll. You know, could he be used a little bit more closely to like a Jason Tatum? type of guy like he's a little bit smaller than some of like the absolute best wings but he does have the 7-1 wingspan like I like you know I love like his ISO game on a triple threat and his post-up game like we haven't seen him be able to use any of that stuff uh, with how fucked up the Pistons uh, were at the start of the season so I just believe in his skill level I think he's a, a really good leader good character guy guys respond to him another guy who's just he's gonna be in this terrible situation for a while so I am like kind of bothered by that but I think you know another team could be using him a lot differently and I think he's a really good passer and you know he doesn't have that nuclear athleticism to finish at the room but I think he could be someone who has skills every other way and like yeah he's got to get more efficient for sure but this is another kind of eye test one of just like and maybe a little bit of a reputation one but I would still have I have him actually in the tier with all these other guys which I don't think you guys have uh because I just I was I would have had him there at the end of last year, and I'm just not going to discount him too much based on this injured 14 games or whatever he just played. So, John, why, why don't you react to that, and then we can kind of get into some of our, I, our next Yeah, I mean, it's tough comparing, like, the, so the guy at the end of my last year is Darius Garland. Like, should yeah. would you rather have Cade Cunningham or Darius Garland going forward? I think that's a really yeah. interesting question. Uh, uh, Cade I, Cunningham, I think, might, I, I, think I, I mean, you might well, say Cade, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess, you know, maybe I should have uh, still have Cade higher. I, I guess... Like there, there are some teams you would rather have Garland on, right? Uh, I, I think uh, because the, he's just got the certainty. Like he has played at an All Star level already. Cade, maybe he just never gets there. Maybe the ball just never goes in for him, right? Like that's a possibility. But just still, the value of what Cade Cunningham could be, even if that outcome is a little bit less likely than it may have seemed at some previous points, like that could just be so valuable. And he fits on any team. You don't have to worry about him defensively. Yeah, that's. I mean, the value of six, seven wings who can who can hold their own defensively. I mean, it's tough to overstate that. Yeah, I, I mean, it was, yeah, because that, that's a great way to put it. Like, who would you rather have, him or Garland? And I, I guess I probably still would probably rather have him. Uh, yeah. Honestly, now that you really put me to the question, I know that's what this list is supposed to. Well, be. Well, I put the question to myself because when I looked at my yeah, list, yeah. I was like, wow, I don't know if I can defend that. Yeah, and Darius Garland again, like he's got more certainty. Uh, you know, he's got doesn't have he's not gonna have this injury history now, which although that surgery usually seems to have a pretty good outcome, so I'm not too worried about that. 
Um, what about you, D? Yeah, who would you rather have, Dan Cade or Darius Garland? You Darius Garland. Garland. Yeah, Garland. I mean, I, he's he's played at a level that Cade Cunningham has not yet, and I I hope that Cade Cunningham exceeds it, but he hasn't yet. And yeah. it, Garland, I mean, after that, you know, like that stretch, after he really got his feet under him, like he's been a good player since then. And for Cade, like the idea, like, let's say he doesn't have enough on-ball juice to be the guy. That player who's a capable defensive player, but maybe not a defensive star, who can hit open shots, that's not a top pro. Like, the the idea, the, I, I disagree with you guys that the worst case scenario in Cade Cunningham is a super valuable player. It's a somewhat valuable player. I, I do think Cade has the upside to be a top 15, top 10 player. I oh, would sure. say that about, uh, about Darius Yeah, Garland. I'm just, yeah, I, I'm not so. going to bet on a... I, I'm on a on that kind of outcome, and, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope that the beginning yeah. of Kate Cunningham season next year is so awesome. I mean, it's still a player that we can that we can firmly believe in. I want to acknowledge briefly a player that would have factored into this conversation, hopefully, but I didn't seriously consider because he hasn't played an NBA game. And that's Chet Holmgren. Where Holmgren, I kind of treat him like I imagine we would a player like Ricky Rubio in the day, who was a high level prospect who then played in Europe for a year where we just haven't gotten to see him against this level of competition. And so I sincerely hope that after this, you know, 30-game sample next year, Chet Holmgren will feature strongly in these rankings. But I wanted to put him in, like, a place where we discuss him and where I think he could be on this list in the future. But I, I it didn't seem fair to Holmgren and to these other players to compare him when he hasn't played an NBA game. So my the next four players on my list were actually all players from this draft. And yeah, yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear Chet it. was one of them. I had... Uh, it's interesting because it's slightly different than I had him on draft night. Um, yeah. So, so to be clear here, we're getting now into like our players to watch category, yeah. which is that's so this is not guys that we had in contention really for the top 10 at all, but you know, guys we might think of as still having all, all-star potential or, you know, being a very solid wing starter since that's a more valuable position. That's kind of the level of guys we're talking about here. Yeah. So, uh, I had Jaden Ivy, Benedict Matherin, Chet Holmgren, and Jabari Smith Jr. I yeah, Jabari, we're, we're going to disagree a lot, I think, on on these these twenty twenty two draft guys. I had Jabari number one on my board, um, which is not looking great. He's played he's played better lately. Um, yeah, but I, if you're being honest, if you're doing a redraft, like you would definitely take Ivy or Matherin ahead of him, and you would probably take Holmgren too, even though he's been injured, just because he hasn't he hasn't proven himself on the downside. <laughs> I guess the way Jabari <laughs> yeah, yeah. has, right? Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, I, I really like, uh, what I've seen from Ivy in terms of just having that blast off, uh, ability to go by people. Now he has a lot to refine on the skill front and decisions and all that, but he has tools, you know, it's a little bit the Jalen Green argument. Like he's, he's got tools that people just don't have. Yeah, I would have both Ivy and, you know, we're going to talk about these guys a little bit more quickly here because there are more of them, but I have Ivy lower. Uh, I think, you know, I think he's at 50% true shooting 52, right now. Yeah. I, I don't see him as like really a plus defensive option. Like he'll get in the passing lanes, but I, I don't think he's going to be like a really like, you know, we're not talking about some future Drew Holiday here. Like I don't think he quite has that type of mentality. And yeah, I mean, the shooting I was very concerned about. And that's, I just like his form, his ability to get to shots in the mid range, like, you know, transition, great. Getting all the way to the rim, good. But like, is he gonna have finishing craft outside of just go as fast as you can at the backboard and just try to beat the guy there or, or dunk it? Um, you know, I don't think he's really a natural passer. So I, I and I guess I'm not 
Like, I think he has very, very good athleticism. I'm not, like, wowed by his athleticism in the way that I would be by someone like Jalen Green. Like, I think he's he's a class below that type, or a John Morant. Like, I think he's a class below those guys athletically to me. I think that's probably fair. I think he I think he elevates more consistently than Jalen Green does. Like, okay. J- Jalen Green's best plays or best dunks or whatever, like, are way more spectacular than Ivy's. But... I, Ivy, when he goes to the rim, more consistently is able to elevate effectively to me than Jalen Green. Hmm. Okay, and I, um, I, I, and I'm saying this like I still don't know what the hell's going on with Jalen Green and his finishing. Like it's weird, right? Yeah, um, yeah, D- Danny. I, I mean, I guess we'll quickly here, Jabari, just to finish up on him. Just the lack of ability as a, a one-on-one score to me, other than maybe just shooting a difficult contested two out of a, a an isolation, like not getting to the rim, not dunking the ball. I haven't seen him as a defensive difference. Maker. Like I, I trust he's going to make shots and I, I trust him to stay in front of guys competently. And I don't really trust a ton else about him at this right, point. Like, so that's like, compare, I, I have compare, him below this players to watch. Com- I don't think he has all-star potential. Compare the way that Paolo Bancaro puts defenders into difficulty and the way the frequency and the, way versus Jabari Smith. Like Jabari Smith doesn't do a lot that forces the defense to react and recover. And so that to me profiles more as a complimentary player. And then we, you see some defensive flashes. I thought it looked worse in the very beginning of the year, as you would expect for a 19 year old rookie. Like that's just the way these things go. But the idea of Jabari being a small ball five has toned down for me. Like I just don't, I don't quite, I'm not quite there yet. And the idea of him being hyper switchable, is has toned down for me like both i'm not taking either of them off the table for a player this young i do think of them as less likely seven months younger than bancaro does not turn 20 until may if he can use those seven months to become as good as bancaro i'll be very (laughs) (laughs) i i I, i'm I'm skeptical um Um, so i have one i want to i want to square up with you if if the sole idea and again, this is I'm narrowing the field deliberately for the sake of conversation. We're talking about all these guys in the 2022 draft. If the sole concept is likelihood of making the top five on iterations of the top prospects list for the three of us in the future, that's the sole criteria is being top five between Holmgren, Mathrin, Jabari, Shaden Sharp, Jaden Ivey. I don't know that there's anybody else other than the players who are higher than them that we've considered. Nate, I'll start with you. Which of them do you think has the highest chance of getting into the top five prospects at some point while they're eligible? It'd probably come down to Sharp or Matherin for me. Uh, Holmgren, I just don't think is going to be good enough offensively. And I don't trust his feet quite enough defensively. And even, even Evan Mobley is not ever been in my top five and i don't think he will be so uh i don't see how home like maybe as a shooter he could be better than mobley but i don't think he's going to be better than him defensively and that's kind of what you're looking for there um jabari i already kind of gave my thoughts on uh, as well um so yeah it's between sharp and matherin let's talk a little bit about matherin john you know you've kind of i think consistently been the highest on him of any of us why i think people might be asking you know he's probably been the second best rookie so far might be asking why is he not in a higher group for you uh, and maybe for me too i i want to talk through him a little bit he's to me he's cooled off a lot lately actually um yeah he got off to a gangbuster start like he's he's one of those guys like him going to the rim feels a little inevitable right draws a yeah. ton of fouls good foul shooter good enough three-point shooter that you have to respect it 
So there's a there's a scoring package that is clearly there. Uh, I think defensively he's not very good right now, but he has the size and ability to yeah. get a lot better. He, he should be fine. He should yeah. be fine. And so what you're left with is that there are still some real shortcomings, I think, on the craft and decision-making. And we've seen more of it lately where he's like shot faking out of wide open threes and crashing into four guys in the paint. Uh, d- doesn't re- yeah, a little bit of a, not quite a last resort passer, but certainly not, not a guy you'd say has plus court vision at the moment. Uh, so we've, we've probably seen a little more of those weaknesses come to the fore. Uh, and again, like, like Ivy, he's a guy who was two years in college, not one. So uh, slightly older as a result of that. Although Chet yeah, Holmgren it, actually it, is that, is that same age too. Yeah, uh, this is his age twenty season for Matherin. Well, and, and one random of guy are, who uh, I think has at least some smidgen of a chance of getting in the discussion, just because he's so freaking young. Uh, what about Jalen Duran? Nope, not not to me. Uh, I just don't think he has the offensive upside. I know he is really young and he's also inexperienced, but I just don't think he has the feel for offensive basketball. Like just in terms of like which way to turn when like the defender is near him. And, uh, you know, it just doesn't screen to me a guy who has, we've seen a few guys like improve a lot defensively. I, who have the tools. I just don't think he's going to be like, he's got great physical tools, but I just don't, really see anything else from him at, at this point in time so he, i think he, 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 he probably and also he's, he's a center who can't shoot yeah you know, he probably like ends up more like drummondy type of you know than uh yeah like like i i think it's it's hard for me to see with what we've gotten from jalen duran so far a top five center in the league like i it, it it's possible but i don't i don't think it's probable and yeah honestly if we're doing it with the way wings are valuable in the league and shot creation is valuable that needs to be closer to a certainty for a player to even sniff the top 10 for me like that's just yeah it's just as a center supply, yeah supply and demand and the center who doesn't do really unusual things isn't the hub of a team's offense can't space the floor unless he's like elite switchable like you get into that and let me like nate brought this up with chet holmgren evan mobley had a phenomenal rookie season defensively and is totally capable offensively he just hasn't fully gotten there yet and he's not in the top five on this right now at the, at the moment in time and i, I want to go briefly back to to matherin who i really like but I brought this up with Jalen Green of just like, well, what is his ideal role offensively? And Matherin, I haven't seen the craft yet for him, like running the show, pick and roll stuff. And I'm really interested. I'm so frustrated that we haven't gotten to see as much of him with Tyrese Halliburton. But the the niche of a player who is a really good play finisher but and, and can maximize advantages but doesn't necessarily create a ton of them other than in transition, like it's it's a player that a lot of teams would be happy to have especially if they're good defensively and if Matherin's jump shot comes around and all that but the I, the, the hard thing for me of putting him like as a potential top five guy in the future versus top 10 where I think he absolutely could be next year is that idea of creating good shots for yourself and others rather than converting good shots which he it's just a different strength yeah sharp again we'll probably go more rapid fire here on some of these guys there's a lot of people we want to discuss and we're we're short on time but I think uh, Sharp, just the ability to jump and the ability to shoot like that, he's disappointed me as a dribbler and, you know, his passing. You've pointed this out in your writing, John, just to how bad it is. But, you know, I think he could still be, like, just so dominating as a shooter and an athlete that, you know, it's the 
And, and I think he's tried defensively more than you would expect, given just his like complete lack of competitive background yeah, um, or or a motor. <laughs> That's the other thing that bug, bug, bugs me about oh, so, him. So you think he doesn't have a motor at all? I just I uh, on, on, you're talking about defensively or just overall? Just just overall. I I oh, just think okay. he's on cruise control so often. And I don't know. Maybe sometimes guys look like they don't have a motor because their head's spinning a hundred miles an hour because there's so much being thrown at them at the NBA that they never had to yeah. process before. So it, sometimes that can be a deceptive visual. I will I will admit that. Uh, but I haven't. I haven't loved what I've seen on that front. Certainly, I, I, I feel I felt like he at least is like trying, but you know maybe not knowing where to go. I, I guess I, I've I, I haven't locked in on him as much in the last couple of weeks, uh, maybe as you have. But I so but I mean I think the shooting is real, the athlete and finishing at the rim is real, and like so I think that he's got a pretty good at least like floor. At that point, right? Like to be, he could be a way better version of like a Terrence Ross at worst. Um, Terrence and, Ross is which, a good comp for him, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but he's he's got like a better body than Ross as yeah. well. Like like he, I don't think like Ross is just a turnstile defensively. Like I don't think that's going to be Shaden Sharp. And yeah, you know, he definitely needs way more on ball reps and improve his handle. But like he's got like the step back game that Ross doesn't have. Like I. I don't know. Between him or Matherin, I'm still kind of torn. I know Matherin obviously has been way, way better than him, but he's a year younger, less experienced. And so I, I'm still more of a believer in Sharp than maybe a lot of people are. Uh, although I, you know, obviously having him number one on my board was wrong. It, mostly, I don't know that there's anyone I feel is way better than him behind Bancaro, but Bancaro has been so good. Obviously, that was wrong to, to not have Bancaro number one so far. Um, um, but yeah, he's not in this next group for me. Um, so, so let's let's just say unless we're disagreeing with each other a lot, we can just kind of keep yeah. nominating guys who are in this sure. next like players to watch category. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling, the collide of football pads, the squeak of shoes on a basketball court, the crack of the bat on a home run, the slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. A, a player to watch who was not in the 22 draft is Tyrese Maxey. He happens to that be was the next player on my list. Yeah, 22 yeah, years yeah. Old. Let's talk about him, Hero, and Poole are all kind of and, very similar. And, and Anthony Simons. Simons. And Simons, yes. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, and so Maxi, the only one of that group that will be eligible for this list next year. The other guys are all age 23. Um, what's positive for Maxi, he became a much better jump shooter, particularly last year, 43% on 4.23s per 36. You wish that attempt rate was a little higher, but, you know, it's a little bit different when you're navigating Joel Embiid for the whole season and Harden for half the season. And 59% true shooting, that's what that's above league average. Um Actually has a higher usage rate so far this season, though the sample is weird because he's missed a bunch of time in the Sixers in general. Maxi, the reason he isn't higher on my list is that 
I'm not confident that he creates a, a, enough, quite enough advantages one on one, and also he's pretty bad defensively. But he could he could absolutely work his way up on this list, like so many young guards have in the last few years. Yeah, John. Let me ask you this: All four of these guys, why are they not in contention to the top ten for you? Because I think a, a lot of fans on these teams, they see these guys, they're averaging over twenty points a game, or could be with more playing time. They shoot the three. You know, they can attack off the dribble. What is it about all four of these guys that I think it seems like none of us seriously were considering having them top 10 or close to it? Yeah, I mean, they're all they're all they're birds of a feather a little bit defensively vulnerable scorers more than creators for others who are reasonably efficient, but not hyper efficient, I would say, Uh I mean, Simon's probably has the best argument for being like a little more hyper efficient, but he's also probably yeah. the worst defender of the bunch. And uh, I mean, I think whoever we think is the worst defender of the bunch is whoever we've watched recently. <laughs> most recently. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a stiff competition. <laughs> like, yes, it just whoever just the, the opposing team decided to attack that day. Yeah, and I, I think also when you're talking about the top ten the top 10 prospects under 23 in the entire league, you aren't typically talking about sixth men in that discussion. And these guys are all like elite, elite sixth men, ideally. And then who's start obviously, but but like the thing here's they either need to be able to defend the shooting guard position, which they can't really do. And defending shooting guard in today's day and age doesn't mean guarding the other teams too. It also means you can guard some threes there and that you're not just getting completely attacked. And then they also, aren't good enough passers the way, say, like a Darius Garland is. Some people are like, oh, like, how is Darius Garland so much better than these guys? Well, that I think because Darius Garland is a point guard and these guys are not, don't pass the ball at the level to really be the guy you're putting the ball in their hands every single time in pick and roll. Uh, and so that's, that's the difference between Garland and these guys to me. Where, but these guys defend the way Darius Garland does. So you got to either be a better passer, offensive engine, or you got to be better on defense to for these guys to separate themselves and no none of them really were in consideration for a max contract right like that's that's also telling Nate here's the way I'd phrase it last year Darius Garland the Cavs had a 115.2 offensive rating when he was on the floor despite you know well the limited surrounding talent offensively other than some nice play finishers I love Jared Allen but like doing that and if Poole Maxi Hero or Simons could do that over a full year sample on a non-funhouse mirror team. The last year's Blazers are bizarre. As the best offensive player, as the engine, then I would probably consider them for the top 10, but none of them have done that yet. I hope they do. A few other guys I had in this group, and John, feel free to break in here if you want to comment on any of these guys further. Devin Vassell? Uh, Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson is the next two after these guards. Sure. Okay, yeah, hit on them a little bit. I think Devin Vassell is is a pretty good starting two. I, I, I don't know if he's ever going to be anything more than that, but like that's a that's a valuable player, right? Uh, so I I you know I liked him coming out of the draft. I still do. He just doesn't. There's just not the type of ceiling that we're typically dealing with when we get into the top ten guys. A little bit similar with with Keldon Johnson. Uh, you know he's got higher usage this year because the Spurs don't have any players shooting the moon ball three uh, a little erratically uh but uh, like he's he's fine like he's a useful four who's probably a long-term starter but I, I just don't know if there's anything more there than that so how, how high can you really put him yeah well, and they play valuable positions but like if the cell if i bought him as like a true wing stopper 
with the offensive improvement. He's averaging 20 a game on like not terrible efficiency. He's got the mid-range game going some this year. It doesn't really pass, but that's a, that's okay. Like if, he, if I believed in him more as a one-on-one defender with just a little more size and strength, uh, then I think he would really be in kind of that honorable mention category for me. Um, but yeah, I can't quite get there for him uh, as well. And then, I, Danny, what were you, you going to say? I was going to go to Quentin Grimes because I really like. Wow! Quentin, I, wow! I, I, okay. I really like Quentin Grimes. Age. Is he like thirty six? He's twenty two. He'll be eligible for this list next year, John. And Grimes, ca- capable defender. We'll see over a larger sample, but I like him defensively. But a, a smaller part within his team's offense, and so the idea, the idea for me of having him further than players to consider discuss. The idea would be that he could be a larger role within the offense. I'm not all the way there yet, but I think he can be really good at what he does. And so there's there's value that like there are a lot of players, you know, like, for example, Lou Dort is eligible for this list. Lou Dort does what he does well, but it's hard to imagine him as like an all NBA contributor. So this is like the appreciation for what they are. And another guy who I really like watching him play, I appreciate who will run into that likely is Dyson Daniels. Dyson Daniels, age 19, defends well. The ball never sticks with him, but you have to be more than that to be a top 10 prospect at any age. Yeah, so so this this part, this section, to me at least, was guys that I thought have all-star potential. Okay. And so I, I can't get there. Oh, no, that, yeah, no so. I was talking about I just, more players I that just I wanted wanted to give praise. Can, can we discuss the fact that the first Nick we mentioned was Quentin Grimes and not R.J. Barrett? Yeah, I would probably, I would still have Barrett above Grimes personally. But, I, yeah, I, I, mean, I, 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 I Barrett yeah. above too, but it was yeah, like if, if, when if I was the, making this list, I was like, "Wow, you're really not that high." If the criteria, <laughs> yeah. if the criteria yeah. is likelihood of making an All Star team or that kind of thing, yeah, I would have RJ Barrett above Grimes. Yeah. But if it's well, like, well, so I, and I think that that should be the criteria here if we're talking about prospects, right? Okay. I mean, like Quentin Grimes, you know, certainly fits in really well. Going to be a very nice starter for. Uh, a long time. I mean, so who else of you guys have we not mentioned yet that you guys would say you think have all-star potential in any kind of a reasonable possibility? Alperin Shengun. Yeah, you know, I've I've got him in in here too. It seems like it's been like sort of a down year for him in some respects. What have you seen from him and why, why do you still think he belongs in this discussion? Like his numbers are better this year. He's still a really high mistake player, but he's still so young. Um, and his, his good plays are really good. Like he, he's, he's conjures up passes that are like, they're like outtakes from a Jokic highlight film, right? Like, like it's the same kind of, it's the same kind of pass that Jokic might want to make, except it like goes in the stands or something, you know, like, it's like, oh man, you almost had it, you know? And, uh, so you just wonder if you can get there really good rebounder, actually a pretty good shot blocker off two feet. Really good on the block one on one. Just like yeah, right that's now, what he's I've still from him the most. He's still too turnover player. prone. He's still too bad on defense. Uh, like there's still too many holes in his game. But if you're talking about guys, you could see if somebody told you three years from now, like, oh yeah, he made the All Star team, you wouldn't be like, no way. You know, you you, you yeah. could see how it might happen. I mean, he's kind of Sabonis-y, uh, although I, I actually like him as a one-on-one post-up guy, maybe more than that. I mean, he's, his numbers of post-ups have been pretty good this year. Like, he's starting to get the touch a little bit more with those hook shots with either hand. Um, yeah, I think he also still has some shooting potential, which I think is interesting. Yeah. And it's just a question of, like, is he, you know, hey, could he get to, like, a Sabonis, Vucevic kind of level defensively? Like, I think he probably could. So, I mean, I think we're talking more about that type of all-star 
Uh, and it's just so hard to get above a certain level if you're not a, an above average defender at the center position. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, and I think there is a possibility that he becomes still a very good offensive player. Um, so like the Rockets, you know, you, Danny, you were talking about how they don't have anyone who's like super high in this list, but I do think they have some outs and Sh- Shingun is one of those. Um, two other uh, guys I wanted to talk about that I think I, I put in here might be controversial. One of them is Jalen Williams from OKC. Just a, a guy I really, I like his pick and roll ability. I think he's going to get better as a shooter. Crazy long 7-2 wingspan. Good athlete off of, of two feet as well. I think he's going to shoot the ball better than he has so far. He's 21, so that's maybe a reason for to not having this high. But I, I think he has all-star potential. I don't know if he's going to realize that, but I, I maybe I'm too high on him. I, you guys probably disagree, but he he's a guy I do have in this list. It's like someone I could see on an all-star team. So. You like you like him better than Giddy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. Because uh, he doesn't have the defensive concerns that Giddy does. I think he's a better shooter. Better athlete. It just fits into the team concept more. I mean, Giddy, he's a great passer, and that's about it. Uh, and, and, and I don't I don't know that he's going to be able to... Like, I mean, maybe he becomes a great shooter under Chip Englund. Maybe he gets to be a better one-on-one scorer. Uh, you know, but like Jalen Williams already has it. Like, Jalen Williams has like a pretty good mid-range game against switches that he can get to. Um, and Giddy is just so bad defensively. So, yeah, I, I do like him better than Giddy. What, what do you guys think there? Because Giddy's another one we should at least talk about because I'm sure OKC fans will be like, yeah, where the hell's Josh Giddy? And I, I, I just told you. <laughs> That's my, my opinion. Yeah, I had him um, kind of toward the back end of this group. Like, I had, a, I had a tough time getting super excited about his upside. But at the same time, like, if he did learn how to shoot, he'd probably be a pretty damn good offensive player, right? Yeah, I just his shooting is bad enough that, and I still don't think he would even be able to do much as a one-on-one guy. Uh, and I think like he's big enough that his defense starts to become a problem in a way that it's not for say you know a guy who's just a traditional guard because he has to play a bigger position defensively, and so the way he hurts you is more damaging. Um, D- Danny, anyone else you feel like has all-star potential that we haven't mentioned yet? Nope, not really. Um, Michael Porter Jr. Still only twenty three. No, he's he's off he's the 24. list. Oh, I'm sorry. Right, Kevin Porter Jr. However, uh, does qualify. I, I don't think I don't really see an all star ceiling with him. But I, you no. know, Nate, is is uh, this the part where I mostly jokingly but not entirely jokingly bring up that Bull Bull is age twenty three and eligible for this list? Uh, but, I had yeah, Bull Bull's I, name down. Um, yeah. No, me too. Me too. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Danny. I mean, he's significantly improved i mean from transition from being an, a curiosity to being a legitimate nba rotation player and potentially more than that and guys who have a credible stroke and who can i, I would say he's more theory than impact on defense right now but has the potential to do that i mean did some of it at oregon back in the day like the if he succeeds he succeeds in a way that is extremely valuable and unusual he he has the highlight reel of a future all star. Yeah, yeah. He just doesn't have the. It's he's like a really high level Poku almost, right? <laughs> it's a, yeah. I, I think ultimately, like, like some of the stuff he's doing as a dribbler, I, I guess you just wonder like where because like his actual rim protection is pretty bad, and he still can't really play center. Like if he could play center with that skill set, then I think you might have something like. He also like his jumper is too slow to get off, even though he, he makes like he's been a really good finisher around the rim. 
So I don't know. Like I still like I would say there is. I don't know. I would say he has all star potential, but it wouldn't. It's not just like so out of the realm of possibility. I mean, I, I liked him in the draft too, but uh, and hopefully his injury issues are in the rearview mirror. And he's you know he's gotten to where he can actually defend in isolation okay now, which that's a big step for him. So he can play more on the perimeter. Uh, I, I still, it's just you know he doesn't have he hasn't performed well enough at the NBA level. He's twenty three. If you're doing this at twenty, then you know I think we'd feel differently. There's one other player that I have here. Okay. It might get some disagreement on this one, I'm sure. But what about Walker Kessler? Oh. Like, obviously he has no offensive upside, but you know, could he be a guy that we're talking about as a top five defensive player in the league? Potentially. He has to, I still think he has to get way more comfortable defending outside the paint. Yeah. Like, the, the, thresh, the threshold is just so high. For, as a a five. Center, for for yeah. a center only player who has a small offensive role, you have to be one of the three best defenders in the league. Could or like, and more specifically, you probably have to be one of the two best rim protectors in the league. He, he has yeah, like is yeah. he has to become Rudy Gobert basically. Yeah, or yeah, because he's not going to add the offensive. Because I was going to say, like, would you consider Brooke Lopez to be having an All Star season this year? Like, maybe I I, I think he's playing at an All Star level. I would have to really I mean, you know, part yeah, of the Brooke top Lopez is 20, number one in my defensive know. player of the year. The last time we did it, and so that that's right. basically yeah. the threshold. And so so, so sure. that that's what we'd be talking about. And Brooke to Lopez gets you three. So yeah, um, so it's just something to think about. Like the rim protection numbers on him are insanely good yeah. right now for for his age and and he does finish well around the basket gets some offensive rebounds like he's not i think he actually could be better offensively than gobert like he's not really a stiff uh in the way that gobert kind of is as like a finisher on like layups and offensive rebounds and stuff so just wanted to throw him out there like he would sure. be at the bottom of this group for me for sure um anyone else we really need to talk about that like you know you just generally people would be curious about or would have like a higher rating than uh you know or, or might be rated higher by some other oh, people i have one okay yeah. keegan murray we haven't brought him up at all age age 22 season and murray like i mean he at time you know he's been a part of a successful team already part of it is he's a little bit older i, I think he fits in well offensively but hasn't really been like dominant on either end of the floor but i think he definitely merits consideration especially with the value of wing-sized guys yeah, he's having such a blah year that it was just hard for me to really get pumped up about writing his name down. Like the like the guy the the rookie wing whose name I wrote down at the back end of this wasn't him. It was AJ Griffin, hmm. who I think also is very unlikely to become an all star, but is like you know can rain fire from the perimeter, do some things as a scorer maybe. Yeah, Murray. It seems like he his numbers really dropped since he had this back issue. But yeah, for at age twenty two, I was hoping to see more from him. This year, particularly in a on a Kings team that is very built for him to succeed with some of his in theory his off ball movement, like he hasn't done as much around the basket as I would have hoped. So, um, yeah, he's been really disappointing, particularly after his summer league. I, I was pretty high uh, on him. Um, you know, Jonathan Kamingo, we should probably just mention briefly. Like he's started to play winning basketball. He's looking like he could actually be at least like a low-end rotation piece for this Golden State team. The reason I wouldn't have him higher is actually I just haven't seen him really do enough on the ball. Like, he does have a lot of dribbling skill, and he can get to the basket, but he doesn't know what to do once he gets in the lane. The only move he has as a finisher on the drive is to, like, stop and pump fake and then try to out-jump the guy. Like, he doesn't really have, like, a good feel for just uh, attacking the rim and finishing 
I don't think like shooting, not really buying it. He shoots this set shot. It's a little hitchy. Like that's going to need a lot of work. Like he's been bad at the free throw line. So you don't feel great about the potential there. Like him as a one-on-one defender. He's starting to do more as a help. Like I think he could be pretty good defensively. Um, but I just, it, it it's, he kind of seems more like he's just going to top as like a solid athlete and, you know, and defender and maybe, you know, transition guy. I don't think he has the offensive upside. At least he hasn't shown that yet to me. So, um, all right, let's get into some questions here. Unless anybody have anyone else they wanted to talk about before we. Santi Aldama. Ah, is that, are you being serious? Yes. (laughs) I I mean, I, I, he's 21. He's having a pretty good year. Like it's never going to happen for him in Memphis because he's got Jared ahead of him. But like, if we're talking about these other guys, like, I, right? like he he he'd be the next one to talk about. I, I so make the case there. I think he came in coming from a, a shit college league and like where he just could crush everyone. Is like had to kind of develop a lot of things in his game. He's still getting stronger, but like he's he's uh, big. I, when I say big, like he's tall. Uh, he's he's pretty skilled. He's still coming along as a shooter, but like he could do a lot of stuff. I, he's interesting for sure. Okay, yeah, I, I mean, that's, I, I'm, I can't quite get there with him as an all star possible. Yeah, that's all-star. that's no, the not, problem. I know you're right? not. Yeah. yeah, you're you're not necessarily saying that, but yeah, I mean, this is this is their, our chance to like shoot our shots with guys that we're we yeah. think are underrated that we just want to get on record as being higher on. Than oh, oh, we're we're in that phase. Then can I bring up Precious Achua because I wanted to have an opportunity to like he's still age twenty three. I think he could be one of the best defenders in the league if puts if he can put it together and one of the weirdest offensive players in the league when he puts it together. Yeah, um, Jeremy Sohan as the defender is interesting at nineteen. I, I the fact that he's shooting his free throws one handed is a little concerning to me. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's going to ever be able to shoot the ball. Um, but if he is able to get there, I think he could be a really, really valuable player. Um, yeah, I think that's about it as far as I, I like Blake Wesley too. But now we're just into like dart yeah. throws on twenty two. Yeah, yeah, that's guys, yeah, so. that, that, yeah, that's that's a little bit. Um, so so I, right, I have a question. Yeah. I have a question to kind of start with. Just I don't want okay, to spend okay. a ton of time on it. What player has the largest? of the players we've seriously discussed, has the largest credible variance with where they could be on the list next year. Gotta be Jalen Green, right? Yep. I, I think I think that's I mean he was he was one of my hardest to rank. So that, that was one of the categories that I had. And and I think part um, of the idea with Jalen Green is that by next year, if it's not working, then we have to it becomes less likely that it's going to work. Yeah, third yeah. year in the league is where it starts to be less about the potential. Like that's that's the year when you're just like, all right, I got to start to make a conclusion that this guy is not he's not it. Uh, um, um, who did you have the most trouble ranking, John? Uh, Mobley. Just because, like, he's his defensive ability is so high, and he's, you know that potential. But just like trying to juxtapose that with him not being a leading man and probably not even a number two offensively was really hard for me. Yeah, I guess I just have a pretty good conception of what he is going to be at this point, and it's, so it's just more of a question of trying to because I I do feel like that offensive window is closing a little bit for him. I mean, it sucks to say that at twenty one, but I. Um, and you know he's obviously the, would be the third option at best on, on this team. Um, Cade is another one just because I the reputation and the skill level that you see, but just the basketball hasn't gone in the basket and he's been injured. Well, so I, I, mean, I, I didn't yeah. stress as much about Cade just because I understand the sample is weird, and so I'm going to do that. Yeah. For me, the guy who didn't have that small sample other than this year is Lamella. Like I 
I get frustrated with the things that he doesn't do, and and other times I'm obsessed with the things he can do. And it's the the idea of where Lamelo Ball's game is going to be in three years is utterly fascinating to me because he's just he does things differently and like those players can sometimes have unusual development trajectories and i think there's a chance that he's just damn good then um no i I think that's that's really possible um anyone else that you really struggle with john uh i mean i i would say anthony edwards is hard for me just me too just weighing that you know what can he be long term versus what what is he right now and what are the odds of it hitting you know yeah, did, did you have an understanding that you would kind of lower on him than a lot of people would have been? I sort of expected that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, and I was I, there have been times that I've been way lower on him as well uh, early on, and then, you know, I think he, he was a, been able to take some steps these last couple of years that made me feel like that that it's at least he's flashed in a way that I didn't think he would when, when he was drafted at first. But, yeah, that was a tough one for me, too. Um, you know, all those guys in kind of the four to 12 range were really hard for me. I, I maybe more so in, in past years, like it used to be, okay. I'd be like, all right, I have this group of three guys that who, how do I rank within that? But now I was, I, once we got below that top three, I, I kind of struggled. Um, anyone else that you think has like a really good potential moving up, John? Moving up. Uh, I mean, we, these guys we talked about at the end, you know, a couple of them are going to blow up and be way higher next year, right? We yeah. we just don't know which ones they are. You, uh, you know, it's funny actually. Last year, so uh, I had Hal Burton way too low last year. Obviously, now he's in the top ten. It's been pretty rare for me and Danny. I would say as we've done this, this is now. I think I've done this every year since 2014. I've definitely like had guys too high and moved them down. It's been pretty rare that a guy that I had like, you know, 20th, like moved into the top 10. That doesn't happen very often for me, I've found. Like that was, Halliburton is kind of an outlier. And Danny, I know you got to go pretty soon here, John. Danny, I'll probably spend some more time talking about this uh, at a later episode. But uh, yeah, that, I, I so I don't know. I mean, if you got to pick somebody though, who would it be, John? I got to ride with my guy, Shingun. Yeah. I just, he, there's, always, there's yeah. just, there's just something there, you know, that, there is something there so i'll go even though he's a center and i hate centers i'll go with him yeah i mean there's there's two components of it right one is is he gonna be this dominating offensive force because i think he really has to get there like he's got to get to like an all-star level as an offensive player absolutely to even be thinking about this um you know but like i think it's possible i think he could be a like really really like the hub of an offense possibly but the, and then you'll always have the questions of like, okay, how can can you really build anything close to a championship level team around him defensively? Um, Danny, who who are your picks for like who you think has the greatest potential to move up? It could be inside the top top twelve or so, or, or outside. So inside, I think Lamelo potentially just reminding people, oh yeah, like he's an offensive force, like like there's potential there. Outside of that. I hope it's Cade Cunningham just because the talent is there. I've, I've had him number one in that class for a reason. And then I'll throw weaker darts to Tyrese Maxey. I think that the idea that the growth that he had last year, that that can be sustained and whether the Sixers or the ecosystem for it, we'll have to see. And then Sharp is so fascinating because there aren't that many players with the specific attributes of being an athlete, a good finisher at the rim, and a credible three-point shot. Like there aren't that many guys who have started there that we've really gotten to see the whole way through. And I agree with John's motor concerns to an extent, but 
I also think that sort of thing can improve. He's on a successful team, and he knows that the only way that like he has to understand at this point that the only way he can become a consistent starter on this team is by actually you know playing hard. Um, Paolo is one who could move up for me. I mean, if he just refines his scoring game a little bit more, or like improves as a shooter, and then at the start of next year, like I, I don't see how he could get past Zion, who will still be eligible. And uh, yeah, there is a. a a Frenchman who might might figure next year. I was going to say he could be massively better next year and still be fourth. Yeah, uh, well, you're saying it. Scoot would be in there too. Uh, yeah, or just someone else. Yeah, or yeah. or yeah, or or Lamelo could move up or something. Yeah, 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 or or Edwards. Um, yeah, and Cade's the other one for me. I mean, if he just uh, obviously we won't see him until next year, but if he comes back and he's doing what I because I, I thought he could even possibly contend for an All Star team this year, and obviously that that was uh, not close. That's another one I think could move up. Anyone that you you think has the potential to move down? So not in case of injury, which which obviously is that. But course, Scott, yeah. Scotty Barnes, I think we're going to have some stronger opinions both ways, depending on how the rest of this year and the beginning of next year goes, right? Sure. Uh, um, yeah. Bet- Benedict Matherin, too, I would throw in there. And uh, Chet yeah, Chet is going to move, right? Like yeah. we have him kind of as a placeholder right now. No, that, that seems true. Yeah, I did not have chat in my my players. Oh no, I, I, I guess I had him in my players to watch. I I did have him there. Um, yeah, I think Lamelo is someone who could possibly fall. Garland is someone who could fall as well. Like if he just you know continues to play the put up the exact same stats he's put up so far this year, and then has a blah playoffs. Well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you yeah. one that could that could fall for a weird reason, and that's Tyrese Halliburton. If the Pacers end up making the playoffs, but he just doesn't can't do anything. Like against a maybe yeah. a capable defense, that could be uh, a, that uh, could freak uh, me out a little bit. Edwards too. Oh, know, and, and, be, and Evan Mobley. Yeah. Like, yes, I think uh-huh. he, I, there's. I, I think he'll be. I, my expectation is that he'll be top ten for me. But if the offensive game still hasn't improved and he's you know more like the tenth to fifteenth best defensive player again the rest of this year and next year, then we're starting to starting to make him more of a like good good big, but not an elite big. Yeah, not someone that you necessarily see on a, on a like a real All Star. Like obviously, you know, we're not talking about Jared Allen making the All Star team last year type of guy. Uh, he won't be eligible next year, but Jaron, if he, I mean, even if he just plays the way he's played the first fifteen games this year and is able to play thirty five minutes a game in the playoffs, and you know, like he could have a very very good playoffs that would make me feel like I had him too low at this point, even like in similar fashion to Shea and Tatum. Last year, Danny and I will go back and talk about some of the evolution of the guys we had last year in a second. And then, uh, let's see here. Yeah, anybody who, so I guess we kind of hit this already, uh, of like the player that you're like, you feel you most likely to be wrong about. We've probably hit that already here. Um, here's a question, and we can include even the top three guys in this. Who is the absolute highest upside of anyone on this list? I mean... It's tough to bet on any of these guys being better than Luca is right now. <laughs> um, you would, you would probably say Zion. <sighs> I, I I would have to go Luca. I I, I'm going Luca as well. I mean, they're just because Zion's never going to be able to shoot, and he's not going to be Giannis defensively. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, it's I, I think it's got to be Luca. I mean, it, like Luca's he's on a path to be a top thirty player of all time. Like he, the question is whether he's top thirty or whether he's going to be like top ten all time at this yeah. point. So I, I just, I can't, it, it, just what he's done so far, like, yeah, I know he's a slow white guy, but I, I mean, I think those two concerns have long since been dispelled. Um, you know, I, I, is it, would it be insane to say 
that Paulo might have a higher upside, the, the second highest upside in this group? I So I think that it's, it's going to be hard for him to be what Zion is offensively when Zion is at his best. And the defensive margin between those two guys, I think, is going to be fairly small. Possible? Yeah. Sure. Likely? Meh. Here's where I have trouble with that. Paulo is not a freak the way these other guys are. Yeah. So you're counting a lot more on skill development. I, I mean, he's a freak in the sense that, like, his quickness and skill level at like 6'10, 250. I mean, there's how many guys are 6'10, 250 who can dribble the basketball the way he can? I mean, before you get into his passing ability and scoring ability and possibly his shooting ability. Um, now, I agree. I don't think he'll ever, like, he doesn't have the upside of Zion or Job, ja, but I, I think it's very possible he could end up, particularly because I don't have the longevity concerns about him the way I do Zion and Ja. I think he could easily end up having the more career value than either of those two guys. I agree with that. Sure. All right. So let's let's uh, go through, just give for posterity here, uh, give our lists uh, one more time. Uh, I will start. Luka Doncic was one tier one, tier two, number two, John Morant, number three, Zion Williamson, tier three, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, Paolo Bancaro, number six, Evan Mobley, number seven, and then tier four for me, this is as far as we'll go in terms of this list, number eight, LaMelo Ball, nine, Darius Garland, 10, Jaron Jackson, 11, Kate Cunningham, 12, Franz, uh, how about you, John? I had uh, tier one, number one, Luca, tier two, number two, John Morant, number three, Zion Williamson, uh, next tier, number four, Paolo Boncaro. Number five, Therese Halliburton. Number six, LaMelo Ball. Number seven, Franz Wagner. Again, I moved some of this around during our discussion. Uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's why we're doing that. Next tier, I had eight, Evan Mobley. Nine, Jaron Jackson Jr. Ten, Anthony Edwards. And then honorable mention, Cade Cunningham, Darius Garland, and Scotty Barnes. Danny? Luca in a tier by himself. Then John Morant and Zion Williamson in a tier by themselves. And then my tier three covers the rest of my top ten. Four, Paolo Boncaro. Five, Anthony Edwards. Six, Tyrese Halliburton. Seven, LaMelo Ball. Eight, Evan Mobley. Nine, Darius Garland. Ten, Jaron Jackson Jr. All right. Thanks so much, everyone, uh, for joining us. Uh, if you are not a Dunked On Prime subscriber, you can hear John every single week there. And, of course, get Danny and my podcast uh, five times a week as well. You also get Seth Partnos uh, writing two to three times a week. Uh, we use his proprietary stats, which we'll be making available pretty shortly. And also you get Dan Feldman with the Daily Dunks five times a week as well in either audio or email newsletter form. So if you're not a subscriber and you enjoyed this, please give us a chance to subscribe for a month. See how it is. You can always cancel if you don't like it. But going up to the trade deadline, there's never a better time to subscribe. Thanks again for joining us, everyone. And we'll talk to you all next time. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.